WUFO, Portland. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. It is one minute and 15 seconds after the hour of five in this, the month of October, in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101 KUFO in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for coming along. It is the uh, Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy. This morning, filmmaker Michael Moore will be uh, joining us later on. It'll be at 6.20 this morning. Also, uh, Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide, World War Z, and Zombie Survival Guide, Recorded Attacks, which is awesome, incidentally. I was uh, reading that last night. Dax Holt from TMZ will join us later on. And uh, Don Taylor from Movies.com. Plus, a pair of tickets for you to see Juliette Lewis at Dante's this weekend. And Anvil tickets. So they're coming to the Wonder Ballroom, and I think... That is actually not for a couple of months, but I think the tickets go on sale uh, this week. They go on sale Thursday. So they're going to be at Ticketmaster.com, but uh, we will have a pair of those we'll be giving away later on this morning. It's 503-228-4101 if you would like to uh, engage with us via the telephone this morning. 503-228-4101, or you can text at 520-5151. If you'd like to email, you can do that as well. It is uh, rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at RickEmerson.com, Sarah with an H at KUFO.com, uh, Tim at KUFO.com, or Greg Nibbler can be reached at Nibbler, N-I-B-L-E-R, at KUFO.com. Coming up today, another exciting installment of uh, Democracy on the March. And we have, do you have that uh, Letterman audio from last night? Yes, I do. I have plenty of it. Boy, that just continues to be the weirdest, it continues to be the weirdest, most awkward television to watch because he's doing that strange thing of blending the sort of heartfelt confessional with kind of laugh lines. And, and, th- and then at the same time, the Stephanie Burkett has made some startling revelations in her diary. Really? I have pieces of her diary to read later. That's fantastic. Nothing I like more than pieces of a private journal that we can share for everyone's amusement. Mm-hmm. Uh, ball talk with Greg Nibbler coming up later on today as well, in which we will you uh, use the words uh, Bosworth and Brian back to back for the first time in like, I don't know, 15 years. It's 503-228-4101. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Sarah Dillon. Hello, how are you? Oh, boy, am I. <laughs> are you awake and glad to be here? I really am. Okay. No, I woke up, for some reason, I woke up this morning and my alarm was going off at like 3 and I thought it was Saturday. I don't know why. That's isn't odd. That, isn't that odd? And Did you just turn the alarm off and think, why is the alarm going off? It's the weekend. I no. guess I'll snooze the hours away. No, no, I have multiple alarms. So as soon as I heard like the, the chorus of like my four alarm clocks going off, I'm like, oh, okay. There you Fantastic. Go. Uh, so I went shooting yesterday. How did that go? It was fun. I wanted to say hi to Carlo at the English Pit. He's a he's a fan of KUFO. The English Pit is the place where the Tim Riley Gun Fest happened. Really? That's bizarre. That is the same place, isn't it? That is exactly the the Tim Riley Gun Fest is from if you don't remember that is from years and years and years ago. That is from two thousand one. 
In fact, I think it was right before 9-11 because I think we were reflecting on the fact that they they would probably have been a little more stringent about what they let us do uh, in a, a post-9-11 era. Because I think it was a station event, and I think they actually... We didn't have a station vehicle, but I think they lent it, us... It, it was not a, an official station event. We made it so and nobody questioned it. I think the HR department... I don't think they had any issue with it. Well, I think they they, they would. What are you doing? We're going to go out and fire automatic weapons during the show with a lot of listeners. Well, you're going to sign releases? No. Well, okay. Have a great have a great time. (laughs) Take the company van. Um, They I think they just let us go out and do it with almost no restrictions or supervision, which maybe they would not have done perhaps just a a few months later. So the English pit. Where is that at? It's in Vancouver. Um, If you take uh, let's see, if you take the first exit. Off of I five in Vancouver and go like um, past Columbia Boulevard and then like it's I don't know it's like it, it was like about twenty five minutes away. That is exactly the same place and so real quick you kind of walk down the steep hill and like it's kind of this um, like little area because it tended to do a lowered sort of an mm-hmm. area. So that is what we did. Uh, I guess now eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, something like that. Because Tim revealed uh, this is early on when Tim and I were first working together, he revealed that he'd never fired a gun, and so we arranged for Tim. This sounds absurd even now. We arranged for Tim and a bunch of strippers in bikinis to go fire automatic weapons at the English pit. And so there are all, there are all these great photographs of Tim flanked by these strippers with, with wearing essentially nothing, firing huge rifles and whatever else belonged uh, to, to our coworker Matt Peterson at the time, d- d- down a target range. And I have some audio of that at home. It really is. It is among my most prized uh, possessions. That's kind of so, amazing. No, it was, it was really cool. I had a great time. Shot pistols, and we did, like... Um, like shooting exercises where the guy was like, like kind of like police shooting exercises where we had three um, signs set up and then he'd be like, one, three, and then you'd have to go and shoot like one and then the other, which is kind of scary, but fantastic. Awesome. And I, and um, P.S. I brought one of my, um, one of my sheets that I was shooting at. Oh, did you bring the target in? I brought the target except for it's at my house, but I'm bringing it in and I'm going to hang it on the wall in here. Are you more of a headshot girl or more of a center of a mass you kind of a girl? You go for the head. Come on. Of course. There you go. Speaking, going for the head, Max Brooks, uh, author of Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z with us later on this morning, uh, as well as uh, filmmaker Michael Moore. Let's pay a visit to the news desk with your personal savior, Tim Riley. Live from the Alpha Broadcasting Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Good morning. It's 508, 45 degrees. It's going to be partly 70 today. Highs may hit 70. It's all very exciting. The first doses of the H1N1 vaccine have arrived in the Northwest. Hooray. But don't rush out to get it yet. The nasal spray will be in clinics this week, but it's not for pregnant women. Out of the 800,000 people who live in Multnomah County, only 6,700 doses have been shipped. So it'll be children who are first in line. After all, they are the future. Did you see that what's-his-name from the Backstreet Boys has swine flu? Yes. Is it Brian Luttrell? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yes. Another guy I'm thinking of? He- Which one is he? He's, I was going to say he's the fat one, but they're all kind of the fat one now. He Like the squishy one? I guess. I mean, how do you even describe... Is that the guy I'm thinking of, Tim? Am I thinking of the right Backstreet yes. Boy? Yes. How so do he kind of has like a little kid face. Yeah, he's like a baby face. He's a blonde, kind of a dirty blonde hair looking guy. Oh, that's Carter. That's whatever something Carter, isn't it? Well, see, but it's not him. So maybe I'm describing him. But maybe he looks different now than he did then. He's the guy who's nondescript. He's... <gasps> oh, kind of looks like Marky Mark, but unattractive. Maybe. Here's the thing is I can describe, uh, I, maybe this is like the are you a ginger uh, guy or a Marianne guy or are you a Han girl or a Luke girl. I was almost more of an NSYNC guy than a Backstreet Boys guy. I can describe all the NSYNC dudes because they all look very uh, distinct to me. They all have their own kind of look going on. 
the Backstreet Boys, the only Backstreet Boy I can ever describe is what's his name? That uh, douche with the uh, with the painted on beard. AJ. AJ. That's it. And that's all. That, and that's just because I talk about him. He because he looks like a bad drag queen or a drag king. He looks like a woman at a Halloween party dressing as a man with the fake Hollywood Hulk Hogan thing that has been sort of applied with mascara. Well, in any event, so uh, should any of the Backstreet Boys offer one is he? to have relations with you? I might. I might be avoiding that. Um. Yes, I, be- I believe that's him, or it's quite possibly the guy who's second from left. That guy? One, one of the two. That's Aaron I- Carter. Okay, but it's that it's it's the other guy then. Okay, yeah. Is that Brian Latrell? Oh. I can't believe I'm spending this much time talking about one of the Backstreet Boys, but he but he cut this. You ready with our demographic? <laughs> he has this YouTube video where he's like, "Don't get too close to me. I have swine flu." Which is awesome. So, you know, you just like to see that sort of thing happen. Sometimes the right people do get sick. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Back to more celebrity talk in just a minute. But first, something more Oregon-related. Trailer parks. Residents of Taggart's Royal Villa Trailer Park aren't being treated like royalty. Some pyromaniac has set at least 20 fires in their yards, bushes, and trees. No suspects yet. Say, it's becoming the perfect time to seal Michael Jackson's body. For several weeks, his tomb at Forest Lawn has been under maximum round-the-clock security, but now the protection is being scaled back. The mausoleum that houses his body is being monitored by a private security firm. Specifically, they're going to watch his body on television, or where it is anyway. So uh, there aren't going to be people uh, physically there as much as there are now, so... I'm just saying, so if not, if one did have plans to to make off with the bones belonging to the King of Pop, mm-hmm. this might be the time to do it. Not that we're encouraging that, but if you were no, already planning on doing it. Mm-hmm. That's right. true. The man accused of taking nude images of ESPN reporter Aaron Andrews has been released on $4,500 bond. That's not very much. Michael David Barrett, a former resident of Milwaukee, has been ordered to observe a midnight curfew, stay off the Internet, and has to wear an electronic monitoring device. He is accused of altering peepholes at two Nashville, Tennessee hotel rooms in order to record the nude video of Andrews. Meanwhile, police have found a suicide note from the reality show contestant who allegedly killed his swimsuit model ex-wife and stuffed her body in a suitcase. A boy to park, California police spokesman said Ryan Jenkins left the note on his laptop. The L.A. Times reports that 32-year-old Jenkins expressed his love for Jasmine Fiore in the note. He admitted he was jealous and angry at what he considered her unfaithful behavior. But he didn't mention her death or take the blame for it. Her nude body was discovered stuffed in a suitcase and thrown into a Buena Park dumpster. That is not how you want to end your life. Also, did you see that interview with what's her name, the, the John and Kate, the uh, the Kate girl, where she talked about? First of all, I don't pay attention to them. Are there two more unlikable people on on planet Earth than John and Kate? Did you? Uh, I am so disinterested in them. Uh, me too, except except for uh, when I saw Nancy Grace just drilling that John guy in television, and that is really where you just don't know where your loyalties lie. I mean, when you see Nancy Grace just putting the screws to him over being such an attention whoring dick, which he clearly is. <laughs> But then, but then you realize it's Nancy Grace who is just, who really just redefines uh, what it is to be shrill and annoying. And you just, and you, you kind of realize that you, you're sort of hoping for a meteor to strike the studio and just to eliminate all of your problems at once. There, and then she was bitching. What's her name? Kate was bitching that she's only got a thousand dollars to her name. So, 
I mean, I think I speak for everybody when I uh, when I say that God forbid the swine flu just start taking uh, additional victims at this point, because I think we've got more names to put on the list. Well, it's only for children so far, at that's, least here in Multnomah County. That's right. It's it's the it's the littlest flu there is. It's five zero three two two eight four one zero one. Coming up in a uh, bit, we will talk to senior radio correspondent Amanda Moyer, filmmaker Michael Moore, and Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide. Stay right there. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock One Hundred One KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's just a zipper. I mean, there's only so many ways I could I could screw it up, right? Seriously, I have no idea how you did this. I just moved the zipper back and forth. I should clarify what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> it really is. A- <laughs> hey. It's a wacky morning show. We're talking about my zipper. Uh, we're not talking about my zipper so much as we're talking about the zipper on my shoulder bag in which I keep my laptop. So I put the laptop in there so it doesn't get all scratched up and scuffed and whatnot. And I went to unzip the bag this morning to get my laptop out, and the zipper went about halfway open, and then it just went, and it kind of uh, slowed to a halt. And it's that that thing where even more than seeing it or hearing it, you can feel when you're opening a zipper and when the fabric gets caught in the teeth. There's just that weird kind of soft binding uh, sensation that you suddenly get. And you can tell that the zipper has gotten snagged around the cloth. And so, you know, but I got to get my laptop out. So I just kind of open it a little bit more, enough just to yank the laptop out. I came in here and I was bitching about it to Sarah and Greg. And Sarah says, well, let me take a look at it. And so you are now seeing the level to which the cloth is enmeshed in the zipper's teeth. It doesn't even make sense how crammed into it it is. And you're asking how I did that. But the thing is, like, the zipper is kind of a binary device, right? It's like you move it left, you move it right. You move it left, you move it right. There's really nothing else I could do. It's stuck on both sides. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Now you're seeing the extent of my difficulties. Now you know why it is woe unto me on this uh, this Tuesday. Welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. Uh, a good friend, Amanda Moyer. How are you on this uh, on this morning, Amanda? Good morning. I'm doing okay today. How about yourself? Do you have the same issue with the zipper ever, uh, where you you move in the zipper, you know, on something? Maybe it's a bag or an article of clothing, and then you get the cloth stuck in the teeth of the zipper, and th- which is simultaneously such a simple problem, but on the other hand, it's incredibly frustrating because about forty percent of the time, when the zipper and the cloth meet like that and it gets all bound up. You can never fix it, and you end up just having to cut the the zipper out and replace it somehow or just throwing the thing away. It's happened to me. I think it's happened to everyone. It's happened to me on luggage. That's the worst. Oh, on a suitcase. You can't get it open, and your luggage is in there. And then it seemed like in 2009 we ought to be past this. Like, we ought to be able to make a zipper that just works, and we ought to be able to design stuff in such a way so that the actual fabric is not getting itself ensnared in the teeth of the zipper as you move the zipper back. I mean, the zipper's like 170 years old. We ought to be perfecting that at this point. You would think so, especially when that cloth hangs down anyway. Like you said, what what is the purpose of that cloth? That's the other thing. And why would they possibly make it with enough cloth overhang that this could even happen? You you think that they would design it in such a way so that this is not even a possibility. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Maybe right. we should write a letter. That's If, if I were you, I'd, I'd write off a very angry missive to the YYZ Corporation right now as we speak. All right. Uh, so, David Letterman, we were talking about this earlier, that it's it started to become this weird mixture of... I don't know, sort of compelling and forthright, but kind of defensive and passive and funny all at once. 
And they continued last night because he kind of is doing that thing of simultaneously playing it for laughs while kind of interweaving what seemed to be a pretty sincere apology to his staffers and to his wife and and whatever. Um, and then on the other on the other side of this, there's the guy, the lawyer who is representing this guy who is accused of trying to extort him, says that there's no evidence and that the guy could never be found guilty because there's really only Letterman's word for it. So um, what do we know and when did we know it, Amanda? Well, it seems like he, at least a lot of people think he's just kind of getting out ahead of of this, you know, talking about it. Because he had said before that he wasn't going to talk about it anymore. And then it's like we see with so many other people that have had these um, problems that come to light. They just keep talking about right. it. And he, like you said, he apologized to his wife. And uh, But you said he made a bunch of one-liners. It was very self-deprecating. And even... Uh, Folded in and battled Governor South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford into the jokes, and uh, but at the same time he seemed really sincere. It's weird because you get the sense when you're watching Letterman. I mean, even I felt this way just sitting at home watching it. That the audience doesn't quite know how to react at any given time when he starts to address it. They're they're sort of off kilter a little bit because they're not entirely sure exactly what tone he is taking. Um, do we know anything else about this guy that was supposedly trying to shake him down for the $2 million? Because, you know, I realize the lawyer's job is always to put the best possible face in everything. But that guy's counsel just says, well, look, like he didn't do it. There's no way that it can be proven. Right. And the, the suspect, uh, Robert Halderman, he is a 27-year CBS a veteran. He's a producer there. I believe that uh, he worked for the uh, news magazine 48 Hours. Um, he did plead not guilty on Friday to charges of first-degree attempted grand larceny, and uh, since then CBS has suspended him. But uh, right now, it's kind of like you said, you know, Letterman did he has he's been talking about it and apologizing for what happened, but it's sort of we have to see how it plays out. But this guy could get, I believe, 15 years in prison if he's convicted for this. So I mean, it's not just a small thing. you got to figure that he's a pretty bright guy, though, if he ended up in a position, uh, a producing job somewhere at 48 hours. But I was sort of wondering this when I saw Letterman addressing this last night. He was, and Letterman said, well, you know, if you're, if you're, if criminals are trying to shake you down or if you're, if you're the victim of legal wrongdoing, even if it causes you personal embarrassment or uh, uncomfortability, you got to draw a line. You know, you you got to address it, and you can't. You know, you can't just sit back and take it, which I get. But on the other hand, I was thinking to myself, well, where would you even cash a check for two million dollars? Which I know sounds like a dumb question, but this guy purportedly told Letterman, uh, you know, allegedly said, "Look, give me a check for two million dollars, and I won't reveal all of this stuff." I, it, that just sounds like. That sounds like a extortion scheme hatched by, like, a nine-year-old. I mean, if somebody gave you a check for $2 million, Amanda, what would you even do with it? I, the, where, do you, where do you take such a check? And you would raise all kinds. I mean, you go into the bank. Oh, I have this check. They're going to look in your bank account and realize, you know, $2 million? Where, where are you coming up with that? I mean, if you don't have those big withdrawals or deposits... It just seems something's up, and they're going to call the authority. It seems like an unrealistic extortion scheme, no matter who was involved with it. So I, it, just, it seems like there's more questions being raised here than uh, than there are answers at the moment. So it, it does, and then for a letterman to come out ahead of it and say, and "This is what happened," you know, kind of puts it in, in another strange light. All right. Well, clearly uh, more to come. By the way, just in case you're wondering about it, during this entire phone call, Sarah has been on the other side of the control panel here, trying to get the zipper to my laptop bag open. And it's I can very frustrating. See the, but you see, and I, I to the point that I almost took a pair of scissors this morning to try Seriously, to. Seriously, I'm ready to cut this the sucker up. Yeah, I mean, I can tell that it's become a quest now. It's like your own personal Excalibur over there. All right, Amanda Moyer at the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. Have a fantastic day, Amanda. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You too. There you go. That is. Uh...
That's Amanda. Murray. I think she thinks I'm crazy. Probably. Well, you know, speaking in terms of crazy, so we added a new piece of equipment to the studio this morning. In case you're wondering, we added a little something to this month's sales contest. Uh, it's um, we have this thing called an instant replay, which is a sort of sound effects box that allows us to play like a like the ball talk thing. So I can add that, you know, I can add that to the list of whatever it is we're playing a little more simply. But it means that the phone has had to move to the other side of my computer. So the phone has been on the right side forever and like for the last nine years. Now, for the first time in almost a decade, the phone is on the other side of my machine, which means I'm supposed to use it with my... It's like the other side of the mountain, but with less skiing. You have like an entire counter there that's 10 feet long. I know, but just moving the phone like two feet, but more importantly, moving the phone to where it is used with my left hand and not my right hand has just thrown my whole world into chaos this morning. We're lucky with the instant replay. I want one of those. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, it, it actually is going to make things a lot simpler, but the idea that I have to answer the phone with my left hand is just... Uh, I'm going to play through it, though. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pro. It's what, it's what professionals do. How's that bag working out for you over there? I think it's loosening up. All right. It's 503-228-4101. Straight ahead, more news from Tim Riley coming up at 6 o'clock. Ball talk with Greg Nibbler, Michael Moore, filmmaker Michael Moore, 620. Don Taylor from Movies.com at 7 o'clock. And at 720, author of the Zombie Survival Guide, Max Brooks. It's the best show ever. The Rick Emerson Show continues next, live from beautiful downtown Portland. Stay right there. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting in ADHD. Let's just remember to scream until Daddy stops. The Rick Emerson Show returns. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. This just in. This just in. The zipper on my laptop shoulder bag is working once again. Courtesy of uh, Sarah Lejeune. Thank you very much. No, Thank no you, Sarah. problem. Uh, my thumbs hurt now. <laughs> but but it's totally worth it, though, isn't it's it? It's totally worth it. And I saw you actually cutting pieces of the zipper away with a pair of scissors over there. I did indeed. It's like you opened up your own genius bar. <laughs> I thought about that. Was actually I think it was Tim who suggested that during the break you got to take this to the Mac store and take it to the genius bar. Fix your bag. There's nothing better than finally defeating an inanimate object that clearly wants to defeat you. You know what I mean? There's, and, and trust me, they're evil. They have their own intelligence. There's some sort of, there's some sort of uh, uh, object or some possession of yours that is bent on making your day impossible by refusing to do something. And when you can finally, you know what it is? It's like that. Um, it's like that hideous clamshell packaging. That's another thing where it's like it, it, it's like it has some sort of intelligence of its own, and it just wants to not be opened ever. It just wants to stay sealed for all eternity. So, all right, excellent. Well, thank you. It's five zero three two two eight four one zero one at the news desk. Your personal savior, Tim Riley. Live from the Alpha Broadcasting Ministry of Truth. This is Tim Riley. Good morning. It is 542, 45 degrees currently. It's going to be partly sunny today. Highs may hit 70. A guy from Milwaukee, Oregon, accused of secretly making nude videos of ESPN reporter Aaron Andrews, apparently uploaded videos of other unsuspecting nude women on the Internet. Michael D. Barrett was released on $4,500 bail. Doesn't seem like that much. But uh, one of the interesting things that I found about this story was his screen name he used to upload these nude videos, Go Blazers 1. <laughs> <laughs> to the surprise of no one. Ah, uh, that's wonderful. So he's one of their biggest fans. So well, maybe the, they can have a an evening there at the Rose Garden just for him. The Blazers do seem to attract law abiders of every variety. So uh, his attorney says uh, his, his uh, employer and insurance company is being very understanding about this. 
So we'll see what happens. Has he been placed on indefinite leave? I guess so. I saw yesterday that I think they may have suspended him uh, without further explanation from his, uh, from his daily employment. So he's going to have to find another insurance. His employer is Combined Insurance Company of Glenview, Illinois, uh, where he is in insurance sales. And, is say, and uh, his lawyer says they're being very supportive. Well, now we should say this, at this point that it's only alleged that he did this, that he uh, videotaped Darren Andrews. But, if, but Nibbler was saying yesterday that, that, that what we had heard about this guy, I think it's all allegations, of course, but that he had followed her around from hotel to hotel and had videotaped her basically in a whole series of rooms, angling on the fact that he would eventually get her on camera without her clothes on or whatever. Oh, that is creepy. Which is completely creepy, but also, as, but it's also logistically puzzling because if he has a job, like you can't, it doesn't seem like you can have a job for an insurance company and then on the other hand, allegedly be following Aaron Andrews around like some sort of sports deadhead. But if you're in sales, then you have an excuse to oh, travel around. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, guys, if you're out there sort of, um, I mean, as long as you're bringing in business, I guess it doesn't really matter. Always be closing. That's right, Tim. Okay. The guy accused of robbing an Albertsons, two plaid pantries in the 7-Eleven last week, has been found dead in his Portland apartment. 42-year-old James Strode's body showed no signs of injury when found in that apartment in the 1900 block of Southwest Morrison. The medical examiner is waiting toxicology test results. Oh, this is bad news for everyone. The state's online unemployment system crashed yesterday uh. after being flooded with a barrage of claimants. That caused people to switch to the phone system, which also caused that to crash. As of yesterday, only half of the 165,000 expected uh, claims had been filed. That means checks will be a day late. Now, do they do direct deposit with unemployment yes, now? Do. Really? So you? Uh... I know that firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions about unemployment, I'm the person to ask. I've I, had more of it than anyone. I because that would be great because then you're not even obliged to it leave the great. house. Then you don't even have to oh, get no, off the I, sofa. You're always out diligently looking for a job. That's right, Tim. That's what I say uh, when they ask me that. I press <laughs> one, one for yes. And then when you go to that meeting and they give you a printout of all the available jobs, I think there's something wrong here. What do you do for a living? You tell them, oh. Oh, okay. Well, sh- you can expect a blank page from now on. My sheet doesn't appear to have any job leads on it. There must sorry be some. Sorry, we wasted your morning. Some sort of glitch. I know. Oh, I'm sorry. You're categorized under dying industry. There's no help for you here. How did you know that? What? Oh, nothing. What? No. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about anything. Uh, moving along. Police in Alabama have arrested a woman who they claim to allow her 13 year old daughter to ride on top of her van inside a cardboard box. 37-year-old... Why even give her the cardboard box if she's on top of a van? Well, I guess it makes it... Like, kind of like a playhouse. A 37-year-old woman, Jackie Denise Knott, is charged with endangering the welfare of her child. On Sunday morning, police received a call saying a minivan traveling on US-431 had a child in a cardboard box on the roof. Maybe she forgot it was there, like when you put your coffee cup, uh, you know, on top of it in the morning. The child in the box was questioned and not told police the box was too big to fit in the car. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? There's no room in the trunk. And she thought her daughter's weight could hold it down. That is awesome. Oh, wow. Wait, the kid's not uh, injured or something, is she? No. Okay. Not assured. So she was right. Uh, Not assured police that her daughter was safe because the box was secured to the car with a coat hanger. So, this is a, a mysterious <laughs> thought process going on here. Thought a process is sort of a loose explanation for, for what's happening. Albertville, Alabama. Jesus, God Almighty! Then why not? I ask. But why was the kid in the cardboard box? To weigh it, it down. Yeah, and it no, wouldn't fit in the I, car. It wouldn't fit inside the car. This is such circular logic you're using here. I understand. Let me just get a handle on things here. 
I understand that the box was being held down by the kid. But why was the kid, in other words, why put the kid in the box in the first place? Because the wind would have forced the box off the top of the roof. How else can you transport a box? Is that what this is? Is she trying to transport the, is the box the crucial part of the story? In other words, is she trying to get the, the box? box? Is, the box is the most important thing. That's here. the keystone here. The yeah. child is secondary. Right. She's tr- so the, ki- the kid is just a box uh, a box holder. A, a box. Yeah, she's like a rock. If you don't have a rock to put in the box, you put a kid in there. She's a, at least the way this woman thinks. She is a box security device, essentially. Right. She is a weight uh, that is sufficient to keep and the box immobile. And as it immobile. turned out, the woman was correct. It did, it did work. So the mom was at the store or going somewhere where she needed to have the box with her. She couldn't she figure out how to home. get the box in the car. She figured, I'll put the box on the roof. What if it blows away? Hey, I'll weigh it down with something. What do I, I have here that, that weighs a little bit? I don't have a any, child. I don't have any stones. Maybe I'll just put my kid on top of the car. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, wait. Here we have somebody who... Uh... Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. I swear to God, it says this on the screen. Guy's parents placed him on a car as well. Yes. Uh, when we were... I was like 13... We went uh, rafting up the Zeus. My dad and I were camping, and uh, the raft, obviously blown up, wouldn't fit inside our van. So he put it on the roof, tied it down, realized he didn't have enough rope. So he threw me up there to keep it from flopping all over the place. The best part is how he probably didn't bother to tie you down. No. No, of no. course, of course not. Why would you do that? How did and how far did you have to uh, did you have to drive on top of the car? Oh, I got to tell you, we drove literally no more than a mile, but it took us five and a half hours with no supplies to get down. That that was the worst rafting trip I've ever taken. But I mean, so so you, your dad had blown the raft up. Is this before or after you'd actually gone rafting? No, this is before. This was from our campsite up to where we put into the uh, into the river. Okay, so he blows the raft up at the raft site, says, okay, let's go rafting. Oh, crap, I don't have any way to secure this to the top of the car. Hey, Bill, get on top of the car. Exactly. I was I was kind of scared, but, uh, you know, I was 13. I was like, okay, Dad, if Dad says so, it's, I got up there. It's, what could be wrong with it? So you were you just sitting there, or did you lay down and sort of put your arms, did you hook your hands, like, inside the windows? Uh, no, no, I couldn't. This was a big rubber, you know, big, huge raft. I, uh, I sat inside on my knees, kind of spread out to balance, and just kind of held on to your life. <laughs> Wait, the, the, who all was on the trip? Was like your mom or somebody there? Was there oh, another it was, adult? It was just my dad and I. We thought we'd, you know, go for a little, you know, an hour boat ride because we only drove up the road, like I said, about a half mile to a mile. But did, unfortunately, we didn't realize the river doesn't follow the road at that point. Did, and, uh, now, was it what kind of what kind of road were you driving on? I mean, it couldn't have been very smooth, right? I imagine it was a pretty bumpy drive. It was actually it was a paved road. This is uh, the Little Deschutes um, out. I don't know. I haven't been there since, but uh, it was a it was a paved road, and it was actually a fairly straight road, so we didn't have to do a lot of turning. And he did try to go slow so that it wouldn't blow around because the back end was starting to lift up a little. Well, that was mighty nice of him. I do like the idea because in my mind's eye, I'm just seeing it as though I was just a bystander, just like with this story in Alabama, where you're just seeing a car go by with a kid on top of it in a box, like for no readily definable reason. That is awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. You call us anytime. No problem, buddy. That is Bill. I got to figure out how I'm going to hang up this phone with my left hand. It's very complex. Here's Tim Riley at the news desk. Meanwhile, police in Waterloo, Iowa, say two convenience store clerks thought they were going to be robbed when they threw money at a man who had no plans to commit the crime. Uh, The two clerks were confronted by an intoxicated and rambling madman 
and alerted police to what they thought was a robbery about to happen. Investigators say the two five-star snack clerks threw money at 32-year-old Tory Bradford, although he left the cash and walked out. Police arrested Bradford a t- short time later for public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and interference. Detectives say the store had been robbed twice in recent months, so they figure, why why be robbed again? Oh, man, when I, the last time I worked at a convenience store, which is now many, many years ago, but I worked at the, the 7-Eleven, which is right across the street from a rehab place. But it was like a... Um, I mean, you know, it was like you could sort of the come and go. Like they had to go back there at night to, uh, you know, to sleep. They lived there, but they could be, you know, they could they could go out to do stuff. I think. And, and so the deal is, they would all come across this because they were all junkies, and they would come across the street to steal sugar packets. That was like their big days project. Is that you get these guys who are on like heroin or whatever, and they would leave the rehab place presumably because they were like kind of like you know go get some air or some fresh sunshine or something. And they would come across to the 7-Eleven, they would buy, like, a cup of coffee, and then I would look over and I would see them putting, like, seven or 800 sugar packets, like, into the pockets of their sweater. But then they would come to the counter and they were just, and they were terrifying because they just had the weird, creepy, dead eyes and they would twitch and they just talked a lot of gibberish. And I was always convinced that it was just a matter of time that one of them took out a shiv and just jammed it into my eye. So, I, I mean, I think that's entirely understandable. All right, we should uh, do this. Straight ahead, we have Ball Talk with Greg Nibbler. Coming up at 6.20, filmmaker Michael Moore will join us here on the show. Don Taylor from Movies.com at 7 o'clock. And Zombie Survival Guide author Max Brooks at 7.20. Be listening. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Don't go anywhere. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Too late. Boston Beer Company, Boston, Mass. KUFO, Portland. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is Tuesday morning. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. Coming up at 620 this morning, filmmaker Michael Moore will join us. Also got Don Taylor from Movies.com. And at 720, author of the Zombie Survival Guide, Mr. Max Brooks. Tim Riley. crazy day. It really is. It's awesome. Uh, that's not even the mention. Uh, Dax Holt, who is coming up later on. We have another installment of Democracy on the March. And Tim Riley is tracking the following headlines for you on this Tuesday. That's just in. Authorities in Switzerland have turned down a request with the release of Roman Polanski. That's too bad. That is too bad. In other news, Henry Kissinger is advising President Obama to stay in Afghanistan. Levi Johnson is now a spokesman for nuts. <laughs> and Al-Qaeda has perfected the butt bomb. The tale's upcoming. It would be improper to ask for those now, I suppose, because it was yes, it just be. a tease. Just a tease. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again. I'm Greg Nibbler. Let's talk balls. All right. In uh, Major League Baseball, the Twins are going to play Detroit in an uh, American League Central tiebreaker today. In NFL news, Brett Favre beat his former team, the Packers, last night. We actually have some audio from him talking about that after the game. In theory. As a quarterback, you always have fun. How much fun was that? <laughs> As I told you guys this week, they have a great football team, but it was a lot of fun. You look a little bit emotional right now. How would you describe what you're feeling? I'm, I'm proud of our football team. Um, you know, I, I, I am emotional, but I'm always emotional. I, I take a lot of pride in the way I play, and I knew there was a lot, as there is every week, riding on 
on our games, and it, it, this one carried a little more weight, but um, it was everything it was built to be. Always, always eloquent. Brent like throw a ball. <laughs> ball fun. So uh, he became the first quarterback in history to beat all 32 NFL teams, and uh, he actually... I want him to fail so bad, but he was actually really, really good. Now, who is the best quarterback in the history of the game, in your opinion? I'm in not my... trying to get you in trouble, but I'm just saying, like, the first person that comes to mind. Dan Marino. Because that sounds but Dan Marino of the Dolphins. Of Ace Ventura. Yes. <laughs> of Ace Ventura <laughs> fame as well. Ventura. And of that. What is that thing he advertised? Nothing Dan Van... The doesn't... gloves. Isotoner gloves. Yeah, that's and exactly some, what And some is. weight loss thing, too, I think. And that's what now. I was thinking. It was like a Nutrisystem type thing he does now. Yeah. But Brett Favre, I mean, that's beating all 32 teams is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, I can make fun of that guy all he wants, but clearly, I mean, he, you know. That's the problem. The hell am I? You know? Yeah, I know. That's, that's what's unfortunate. He actually is good. Um, in other NFL news... Brian Bosworth. Yes, yeah. you all remember the Boz. The Who is uh, he? Uh, Brian Bosworth was a gigantic bust. He was an amazing college player, and he went to the NFL and was uh, known for his like crazy haircuts and being outspoken and just kind of a nut job. And he just sucked terribly in and the he, NFL. Blue. He was like the biggest. He was, Brian Bosworth was like one of those bands that has kind of a hot single or has a big local following, and then they sign them to you know to like a big national record deal, and then they just implode. Uh, oh, I know who that guy is. In that is. way, he's he's like the band Helmet, uh, in other words. Yeah, he was named in uh, ESPN's top 25 busts of all time. He was number six. Because he was considered to be just like the second coming of everything, and he played for the Seahawks, which is why I know who he is. And Brian Bosworth, one of his trademarks is he would he would notch these horizontal lines in his mm -hmm. hair right above his ear here. Like he would have like, like a Like vanilla ice? Sort of, but they were kind of like Adidas stripes, but they were just right above his ear. And then he would paint them every week. He would color them. The colors of the opposing team, whatever that team was going to be, that was like his big gimmick. And he, I mean, he was like dating a, a penthouse pet, and he was like he had merchandise everywhere. But then, of course, he couldn't actually play. He just sucked. Uh, he was he was awful. And my dad just sat there. My dad was such a big Seahawks fan. My dad actually had this. My dad was a sucker for NFL merchandise. My dad had this foam rubber like brick that was designed to be thrown at the television whenever the Seahawks would anger you, which was like always, which was like every five <laughs> seconds. And the year that Brian Bosworth played, I don't know if it was more than one season or if it was just one, but I heard his name being cursed like he was responsible for World War II. I mean, it was just unbelievable how bad he was. Yeah, he was completely overhyped, and uh, he is being sued right now by a former veterinarian who said that he did not pay for his puppy's week of boarding, grooming, and a vaccine, which happened in September of 1998. This vet is just coming back now to sue him over this. He smells blood in the water. Yeah, 11 years ago, and the uh, tab was $286.15, so clearly a very uh, very important thing this vet is trying to claim, uh, yeah, 11 years after the Fact. So he's uh, he's going to be going to small claims court to fight this. What is Brian Bosworth doing now? Do you well, suppose? actually, I've got some information on Brian Bosworth. As you know, he tried to be an actor. He was in uh, Stone Cold. That is right. In I forgot about that. Well, apparently he is still acting, and he's got such movies coming out this year. Maybe they're already out. I don't know. As Down and Distance, Rock Slide, and Slide is spelled S L Y D E. I assume his name is Slide in this movie. Fantastic. And also Clownface. Clownface. Yes, Clownface. I'm sure you can catch that in theaters everywhere. Awesome. He's the Lyle Alzado of a new generation, or not, <laughs> as the case may be. Yes, so that is Brian Bosworth news for you. And the Blazers are opening their preseason game tonight, uh, the first preseason game. They're playing the Sacramento Kings at the Rose Garden. The Blazers are going to be 
awesome this year. I am very excited about the season, so uh, hopefully everything is going to work out good for them. And uh, that concludes this edition of Ball Talk. There you go. Greg Nibbler's Ball Talk, ladies and gentlefolk. Coming up at 627 this morning, filmmaker Michael Moore, Don Taylor from Movies.com at 7 o'clock, Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide and the new book Zombie Survival Guide, The Recorded Attacks coming up at 720. Straight ahead, more news from Tim Riley. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. One has a big tattoo on the right side of his face. Both are heavy set morons. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. Coming up at 627 this morning, filmmaker Michael Moore will be joining us. 7 o'clock, Don Taylor from Movies.com. And at 7.20, Zombie Survival Guide author Max Brooks. This is Tim Riley at the News Desk. Live from the Alpha Broadcasting Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Good morning. It is 618, 45 degrees currently. It's going to be partly sunny today. Highs may hit 70. The Beaverton Donnies has been robbed. A white male in his 20s wearing a black hoodie threatened a clerk with a gun. Northwest Federal Credit Union downtown robbed by a white guy without a gun yesterday. The suspect could have been the notorious River Rat, who's robbed seven banks so far. Wait, this isn't the guy they just found dead. No, this is the River Rat. Okay, That's this, the Plaid Pantry dude. That's the yeah. guy around the Plaid Pantry and the, the Albertsons. The River Rat would not kill himself. All right. Well, see, because when they get, you find the guy dead, then it bugs me. Because Whenever a criminal is found deceased in that way, it just sort of annoys me because you'll never figure out exactly why he did it or how he did it. Then it just becomes some sort of Once mystery. they give you a snappy name, you're in it for the long run. That's right. The River Rat lives. Milk that for every, every bit of publicity possible. Mm-hmm. Vancouver drivers can expect delays on Southeast 1st and Northeast 136 all week due to a paving project. Also, you can expect the end of your day to climax with you having to go back and live in Vancouver. So here's something that sounds like fun. A hundred years after the sinking of the Titanic, a cruise will trace the doomed ship's route. The Titanic Memorial Cruise. Everybody hop aboard. <laughs> Departs Southampton, England, April 8th. 2012. Titanic. Exactly, exactly 100 years before everyone else drowned. Soon we'll be making a... Blah, 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 blah. And then they're going to pause in the same spot ah, where the Titanic no, went down. Are you effing with me? Serve up door. They're going to serve uh, tasty drinks and refreshments. That is messed up. It really is. Uh, extra oh, ice for mine, please. Uh, and then they're going to have a memorial service for more than the 1,500 people who died there. So be part of it. They're also going to stop at Halifax. Uh, Nova Scotia, where many of the victims were buried. That's so creepy. The cost for 12 nights starts at $3,900 and ends in the Titanic's intended destination of New York. So this time they, they plan on making it. They hope. All right. That's uh, that's just unnerving. That I would is not. Wrong. Would you do that? Still, no. All right. Well, I'm just asking. You're a big Titanic fan. I didn't no, I mean, know I'm if you would. I mean, I'm a huge Titanic fan, but. Um... I've been obsessed with it since I was little, but that's morbid. Do you do now? There's still people down there. Well, probably not well, so much now. Of them. I mean, uh, so I, they're going above where the ship actually is. Yes. Yeah. That is wrong. Now, are you opposed to ocean liner travel? Period. Like, does that freak you out? Like, I would never mm. do that. Laura wants me to. She's like, we got to go to cruise. I'm like, no, not going to happen. I, I just, I'm not a big yeah, fan of the water. Don't seem relaxing to me. Yeah, I. They I seem... I'm not opposed to them because I've never been on one, but. 
they seem terrifying to me. Just the whole deep water on a boat thing. I'm not the. Uh, I am not down with that. I don't even like going across bridges that are across. You know, the, the yeah. above really deep water. I I do not enjoy that experience. So the idea of the idea of taking a cruise that mimics the Titanic path and then where you stop. You know, I mean, right on the spot where they sank is just so. I mean, free. I'm standing in a studio in Portland, Oregon. I mean, far from water of any kind. Like, and it would freaks you, me would you out. feel bad for anybody who pays for that if, if like, the, their ship sank? Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense that, I mean, you don't want people to drown. I mean, unless it's funny in some way. But on the other hand, that's funny in some Seems way. Seems sound like you're asking I for it. I mean, that's it. the thing. Well, and, and I mean, that's, you know, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out in an interesting fashion. Jesus. I mean, that's one of those, you know, that'd be one of those stories where, uh, you know, that's like one of those, the stories we have occasionally where like somebody will go to a, there'll be some incident at a funeral and everybody's gathered around dad's grave to to bid him a fawn for when the ground gives in, you know, and everybody just kind of plummets into a, into a hole where there's just a certain kind of a closing of the circle feel to that, that you can't deny that just, uh, that is satisfying in some awful way to the human psyche. It just seems like they're, they're testing fate there. I guess I... Now I've just got the whole Titanic thing. You know, we really did miss our calling as a bad uh, as a bad purveyor of morning show comedy because it seems like somebody ought to have done the love boat theme, but with you know Titanic, <laughs> or maybe not. Okay, uh, straight ahead, filmmaker Michael Moore will be joining us. Also, uh, we have Don Taylor from Movies dot com at seven o'clock, seven twenty. Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide, plus more news from Tim Riley. You stay there. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday morning. Stay right there, Michael Moore. Next, the Rick Emerson Show on Rock One Hundred One KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock One Hundred One KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's 629 AM. This time check delivered to you by Cooney BMW's 29-minute fast and free service. Performance has an address, Cooney BMW. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. Or you can text at 520-51. Coming up here in just a few minutes, Mr. Michael Moore, filmmaker and provocateur extraordinaire, be uh, joining us here on the show. 7 o'clock, Don Taylor from Movies.com. And uh, Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide and the new graphic novel, Zombie Survival Guide Recorded Attacks, which is awesome. Uh, be coming up at the uh, 7. Did I bring that with me today? I left it at home. Oh, Damn I want to read hell. that. Wait, wait, I think I might have it in this. Oh, no, I zipped my bag shut again. No, you didn't. Oh, God, I hope it opens. Uh, so I, I worked so hard on that. Well, look, I had to close it at some point, baby. I, I can't just... Uh, <sighs> So I have well, the, that's it. I'm done. My fingers I, still hurt from fixing that thing. So I have the shoulder you can't bag. have people poking around your private things. <laughs> can't have people poking around my bag, Tim. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry. That was. So I have the shoulder bag for my MacBook, uh, which got the zipper got jammed this morning, and Sarah was good enough to fix it. Hey, look at that. Wait, hold on. You're gonna break it. Okay, it actually works. You put that thing down. You'll scratch it. <laughs> uh, oh wait. Oh, I do have it with me. So there you go. Zombie survival guide. Retorted attack. So Max Brooks coming up, seven twenty this morning at the news desk. This is your personal savior, Mr. Tim. Live from the Alpha Broadcasting Ministry of Truth. This is Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It is 632, 45 degrees. Temperature today may hit seventy if we're lucky. 
A single-engine plane has crashed near St. Helens. The sheriff's office reports that an unidentified man has been injured. He's been flown to a manual. The FAA said it lost track of the plane from its radar yesterday morning. Well, that's not very good. It was seen flying southwest of Scappoose Industrial Airport. The U.S. Coast Guard helicopter found the plane. The crash is under investigation. Well, the uh, effort to recall the mayor has failed, so please don't anyone ever bring it up again. I'm stunned that that didn't succeed. Did you see the uh, the article in the Oregonian, though, where what his guts is insisting that the fight isn't over? We, I have other things I can pay attention to me. Not going to happen. Here's no, Tim Riley. No. Gee, here's something uh, terrible. Imagine being in a haunted house and having the floor actually collapse. This is a ghost walk toward had a scary ending in Ohio. When the floor of a 164-year-old log cabin collapsed, injuring two people. The first floor of the toll house gave way as the local historic society was wrapping up its Sunday evening ghost walk. About 25 people were in the building at the time. Uh, Detroit, Detroit, where nothing ever good happens. Say a 58-year-old man died when his motorized wheelchair fell eight floors down an elevator shaft. Oh, come on. Uh, it, it was uh, moving erratically and bumped into the elevator door on the eighth floor, which opened. Wait a minute. So his motorized wheelchair went insane. Yes. This is like a bad combination of Gremlins and Die Hard. You know what I mean? We're like, there's that scene which is terrifying. When is the last time anybody here saw Gremlins? Oh, I saw it a few months ago. Yeah, Did you? It's, one of, my, it's one of my favorite holiday movies. Really? Good yeah, for it really you. Is. That means Christmas to me. Are you? <laughs> Nothing says Christmas, Tim, like Hoyt Axton. Uh, there's that whole sequence. Gremlins is a much darker film than people really, really remember. You go back and, especially when you consider that it was, it was Steven Spielberg, who I think on some level must hate children. I, uh, I mean, that's just, I'm just speculating. It's just a theory. I don't know that that's true. But I think there's some level where, uh, where Steven Spielberg dislikes kids intensely because he seems to be bent on making a lot of movies that either terrify them or show them in some sort of extreme uh, danger. Or in the case of Jaws, just show them being bitten in half. But there's that whole sequence in Gremlins where they have rewired that woman's staircase uh, wheelchair or whatever, and then it just shoots her out the window at the top. So that, in my head, is merging with the sequence in Die Hard where John McClane wraps the C4 around the chair and says, take this under advisement, jerk ass, or whatever he says, and like dumps it down the elevator. It is uh, 503-228-4101. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. You all know my next guest. He is the award-winning maker of such films as Bowling for Columbine, Roger and Me, and Sicko. His new release, Capitalism, a love story, is playing in Portland, Oregon. Right now, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show the one and only Mr. Michael Moore. Good morning, sir. How are you on this fine Tuesday? How are you? I am an 8.3 on the 1 to 10 scale. How are you, sir? Well, I, you know, I like to face the day with a, a burnished optimism whenever possible. You, and I weighed whether or not to actually use this phrase, but you're sort of, in the best way possible, this kind of documentarian Bruno, where it gets harder and harder to catch people unawares. Uh, you know, just as Sasha Baron Cohen can't really surprise people anymore, it's probably harder for you. Has, it, has your notoriety made it easier or harder to get these films done the way you want to? Uh, made it easier because I, I know what you're saying. It's, it's harder because people recognize me, so I, I can't get into the corporate executive office as easy. Um, but what is easier is that because people do uh, know me, I get so many tips from the public, so many whistleblowers, so many people sending me documents from the office uh, because they believe that, that, well, there's one guy who you know might stand up for us here. And so that's been that's made it 
actually easy in a way to do what I do. When the economic implosion and the meltdown and the bailout all happened, I know that you were, uh, at that point, I think you are beginning pre-production on your next film, on which we what became Capitalism, A Love Story, and you actually had sort of an open letter you put out to people who worked on Wall Street or in the financial community saying, look, if you know what happened, if you have the inside story, you got to let me know so I can get the truth out there. When you make specific calls like that, uh, you know, to the public, do you hear back from a lot of people who who work in an industry or are in a part of life where they feel the truth needs to to get out as they see it? I received over twenty two thousand emails from people, really, li- literally around the world. All, most of whom I would say work on some level in a bank somewhere, an insurance company somewhere, a real estate company somewhere. Sometimes it was just from a small town. A number of them, though, were from Wall Street. Um, I had a number of VPs or former VPs of places like Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, et cetera, that wrote to me who gave me a lot of good information and background. A couple of them even agreed to go on camera and, and did. Are you ever surprised by the people who either will go on camera or by something that someone says do, do you ever catch um catch yourself being astonished at a moment of unguarded honesty from one of your subjects oh yeah i really <clears throat> when that happens i'm like geez um that is that is really a rare moment here when the truth is coming out I have uh, I've repeatedly uh, compared you to, to Abby Hoffman over the years. I remember first uh, when I saw Roger and Me for the first time, and I was just sort of gushing to all of my friends about it. And I was like, you got to see this movie. It's called Roger and Me. And they said, what it's about? And I go, oh, it's about Flint, Michigan. And this guy, he's trying to find Roger Smith from General Motors. And, it's, and I just kept going back to the Abby Hoffman thing because he was such a... He was such an entertainer and so hilarious, but at the same time, it was shot through with all of this sort of pathos and what Chuck D would call a a life-loving kind of hate. And it was this sort of righteous indignation mixed together with, um, you know, with a very compelling, uh, entertaining side. But who was it that inspired you to become an entertainer? Was it someone like Abby Hoffman? Was it someone more political, less political? Who who kind of lit this, the fuse for you? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I don't know where that moment was. I wish I could put my finger on it. I do know that I've always loved going to the movies. And I, um, when I first thought of making my first movie, I thought, well, I could do this. I don't really know how to do it, but I've watched enough movies to know what I like. And so that's what I I set about doing. We're talking with uh, Michael Moore, the new film, Capitalism, A Love Story. is playing in Portland, Oregon right now. You mentioned being a lover of movies. What movie... Um, do you first remember loving? My uh, the very first movie I remember liking was uh, PT one oh nine. PT one oh nine, excellent, good reference, sir. <laughs> Is uh, With, uh, Cliff Robertson playing uh, young John F. Kennedy uh, about the uh, when he was in World War Two and the um, a Japanese boat. Uh, crashed into his boat and sunk it, and how he saved everybody on the boat. PT-109, when I was growing up, seemed to alternate uh, with the sound of music for being on television. It was just always, every time I walked by the TV, it was either PT-109 or the Von Trapps, sort of (laughs) singing Edelweiss. At this point in your life, what movie would you say that you have seen more than any other, discounting, obviously, your own work? What is the the most frequently seen movie in the the Moore household? I would say uh, this is Spinal Tap. Uh, Life of Brian, Monty Python, um, A 
Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick. Being such, and all of those films have a, a very exceptional craft to them, and you yourself are a very... Um, a very skilled crafter of sound and imagery. And, and I'm not saying that just to flatter. Your films really do have this astonishing level of technical expertise. Do you regret that that sometimes is overlooked because of your politics? Oh, yeah. And it, and it really, uh, thank you for pointing that out, because I rarely get to have a discussion with anyone uh, about film or cinema as an art form. It's always about the politics in the film. And, and it's it's kind of an, it's odd to me because, People think of me as a political person, but if, if I were doing this just for the politics or for the message, uh, you know, I'd, I'd run for office or I'd start a political organization or I'd do something else, but I've chosen to be a filmmaker. So first and foremost, I've set out to, to give you two of the best hours I can give you at the movie theater. I want you to walk out at the end of my movie and say to your date or your spouse, um, or your spouse could be your date, say to this individual, wow, that was a great way to spend two hours. That was something. Can you believe what we just saw? I mean, that is what I'm going for. And and I, I think that's why I've been very, very blessed to, to have as many people go to my movies in the past because I, you know, I really am taking a lot of care and concern with giving you the absolute best movie-going experience uh, on, on a Friday or Saturday night. The uh, new movie Capitalism, a love story, is playing in Portland, Oregon right now. And uh, uh, from somebody who loves movies to somebody who makes movies, I want to thank you for being out there and, uh, and doing what you do. Best of continued success in life, art, and all things, my friend. Well, thank you, Rick. And you know, you guys, you live really in one of the best cities in the country. I don't know if you know that. You said it, brother. Uh, I've, I, uh, traveled, I've traveled this great nation, and you live in a wonderful place. Excellent. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, we would love to have you back at some point. Best of success with the movie and with everything. Thank you for spending some time with us. Take care. Thank you. There you go. Mr. Michael Moore, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, new film Capitalism, a love story, uh, playing in Portland, Oregon right now. So there you go. Cool. Wow. That is cool. That yeah. is cool. I... Uh, yeah, that's a uh, that's a uh, that's a cool thing. I didn't get a I didn't I didn't tell this this one small anecdote that I was going to tell. A because I know you know he's a busy guy. We had limited time, and also because sometimes you will read, especially on uh, sort of the blog type stuff. Or you go to like Ain't It Cool, you'll see a lot of this. Where like Harry Knowles is the absolute worst. Where he will begin a review with like a nine paragraph essay about something he did like in Wichita, Kansas when he was 12, uh, you know, that in no way really relates to the review he's about to give. And so it beca- and it's, it's a little bit, a little bit of a pet peeve for me. So I didn't want to, str- you know, interject a big personal anecdote into this, but you know, one of the things that Michael Moore uh, did years ago uh, that really impressed me. And he's, he's uh, one of only two celebrities who's done this. Henry Rollins is the other one. I emailed Michael Moore a question uh, back in 19... I can't even tell you when it was. It was 1998. It was uh, right before I moved to Oregon. I was reading Downsize This, I think it was, because it wasn't... Because uh, Stupid White Men was not at that point, but it was uh, Downsize This. And I had a question about something or other. It was a question about, I think, why he used AOL for his email address because he, you know, so often kind of takes shots at corporations. And I really just as more of a, you know, the way he is perceived in his, in terms of his own persona, I was wondering why he, why he did that. And so I sent him an email. I'm like, dear Michael Moore, read your book, you know, you know, love your films, you know, whatever, you're great. I was just curious, you know, you take shots at big corporations. I was wondering why you use AOL for your email account. And he emailed me back like in an hour. 
And he was like, the disc came free in the mail, and you know, and so I signed up. And then I put that email address in one of my books, and so it's there forever, so i got to keep it. What can you do? Thanks. M.M. Oh, he's right. Those discs always used to come in the mail. They don't anymore. (laughs) But he was just like so, and it it clearly was not written by a flack, right? Because a flack would not have written such an off-the-cuff sort of, you know, response like that. But it was just like, what are you going to do? So, you know, thanks for watching the movies, M.M. And I, I've got that at home. I filed that away. Uh, and that's like the thing with Rollins, where he emailed my wife back once. She sent him some question about traveling, and he emailed back. Like, But with Rollins, it was like nine minutes later it, it arrived. And, I mean, those are the two things that really uh, change the way that I uh, deal with my own email. That's why I get so much Catholic guilt if I don't get my email answered. Because I'm like, Christ, if Henry Rollins could take the time to respond. Michael Moore or somebody, you know, guy's busy winning Oscars and he's spending time answering my stupid email about something. I mean, it's the least I can do. I don't have any idea where we are in terms of the hours. We should repeat what that are, again What are later. we doing here? I don't know. We're supposed to we break. We can go or home. Or get ready for trick or treat. Get coffee. Now, if we, if we go home now, Tim, we won't know how to battle the undead. Uh, Zombie Survival Guide author Max Brooks joining us oh. next hour. Let's take a break here. We'll come back. We'll reset. Uh, more time on the other side. We'll have more news from Tim Riley. Don Taylor from Movies.com at 7 o'clock. Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide at 7.20. Dax Holt from TMZ at uh, 8 o'clock. And at 8.20, we will encore our interview with Michael Moore. So there you go. That's coming up at 8.20 this morning. It is the Rick Emerson Show. We're live from one of the greatest cities ever, Portland, Oregon. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO, Portland. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. In uh, just moments, we will talk to Don Taylor from Movies.com, and we'll find out what uh, Tim Riley is working on. I should say, first and foremost... Uh, zombie Survival Guide author Max Brooks joining us later on in the hour, 7.20, and the author of the new graphic novel, Zombie Survival Guide, Recorded Attacks. Also, uh, Dax Holt from TMZ, and we will encore our interview with the filmmaker Michael Moore. Uh, that'll be coming up at uh, 8.20. So you're going to be listening for that. Uh, so, th- have you had more of those bacon peanuts? Oh, they're delicious. I'm just going to open these ones. Here's Wait, the do you have an open one? Because I don't want to... I do. I had to I had to fold it up and hide it for myself at a desk drawer yesterday. You can open that one, though. Okay. Because I just found myself consuming the entire bag. They're delicious. It was, they are really, really they're good. So, so good. Yeah, they're fan. Can I just see that? They're not one? that bad for you. Sure. Well, that's what we'll Keep tell ourselves. That. Yes. Just tell yourself it's the good kind of fat. Here's the best thing about this bag of uh, bacon flavored peanuts, uh, which uh, a listener gave to us. Listener Eric, I believe his name was. And I'm getting that wrong. I apologize. It's uh, I'm How low can you on get protein. a name like Eric wrong. It's only four letters. Well, here's the thing about that. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. The. Well, just as always, cutting to the heart of the matter. The. It's that the note attached to this bag, you bastards, this said... There, there, there are only certain ways to put the letters together. Oh, Christ. Let's just welcome Don Taylor to the Rick Emerson Show. Since your peals of laughter 2012 style are sort of floating across the studio. I'm sorry. Tim Riley tickles me. I'm way over here. You know, Amnesty International uh, considers that uh, torture. See, now I want to taste the bacon peanuts, but I have nothing to drink. I was rushed in here. I was given the bums rush into the studio. Well, I'm just... I'm sorry we just wanted more airtime with you, Don. I'm seriously... I wouldn't put you in the kitchen. That's the way it goes in show business. Stick you back in the Art Alexakis green room, if you like. Uh, or we can just send you home with Art Alexakis, uh, whatever you prefer. No, here's the thing, is that the note attached to these said, you know, hey, love the show, blah, blah, blah. I know you love bacon. Have some bacon peanuts. Eric, but the guy called us yesterday to verify that we'd gotten them. And I think on the phone yesterday, his name was not Eric. So that's the puzzling okay. thing. 
you sons of bitches. Yesterday when he called, I think his name was like Jason or something, yet the note says Eric. So I'm wondering if it if, I, if it's possible that two Just different people... Just give me back people, the bacon peanuts. Okay, after I read these notes, I have to tell you this. <laughs> I have to thank, uh, by the way, our friend uh, Brent for pointing this out. He noted uh, the first part of this. Yes, it does say, quote, Caution, manufactured on equipment that processes nuts. In the back. So, just in case you were wondering if this uh, bag of peanuts would trigger your alleged nut allergy, <laughs> it is in fact manufactured in a place that deals with no. nuts. So, be careful. By the way, uh, below that it says in a there's a huge uh, yellow and red warning label that says, without really any explication, it just says, "Do not give nuts to children under six. <laughs> Always sensible advice. There you go. You can have those back, Sarah. Thank you. It is, however, okay to dangle them in front of them and, and make them walk. <laughs> well done. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic rest of the show. I can already tell, and I mean that sincerely. It's uh, 503-228-4101. Don Taylor, what will we be uh, speaking about with you this morning? Uh, we will be speaking about a documentary about a not-successful 1980s heavy metal band. And a sort of film noir mystery set in high school. Uh, and I have uh, I have a follow-up question about something you discussed last week that we'll get to in a moment. But we should uh, ask Tim Riley what headlines he is tracking for the good people of Portland today. We are going to read from the diary of one of David Letterman's gals. Is this the... Uh, this yeah. is from Stephanie Burkett. Now, which one is Stephanie Burkett? That's the girlfriend. That's the girlfriend. Which girl? The, the one there, that was... Uh, there are many, the many girlfriends. She was on all the comedy routines. She's the, the little... That's the one who was... Who was a little tart? That the was... mousy blonde girl. Yes. Have no, you she's noticed? Not blonde. The... I don't think she's. Is she blonde? Uh, have you noticed that, that both of those girls that have come forward and as having been um, involved with him look a lot like his wife? Oh, he's got a type. Yes. I mean, just saying. It's. I mean, it, it's sort of weird. I mean, they. I think I noted this that they kind of look like his wife must have when they first met. So it's just, it's just all together creepy. Um, but uh, so there is Stephanie Burkett, who's the woman who is in a lot of the sketches. Yes, and I saw a picture of her at some event. You know, where she, I mean, you know, she cleans up well, as they say. Uh, and then there is that intern, the one who said that she was madly in love with him. He promised it would last forever, uh, and she is kind of, as Sarah said, out of the same sort of. Uh, well, you know, everybody's got a preference. What do you do? All right, Don Taylor. So let us discuss the non-successful heavy metal band. And unless I am uh, totally off my game, I'm guessing this is our good friends in Anvil. Anvil, Anvil the story of Anvil. Yeah. Um, if uh, any of your listeners are not familiar with the movie, it uh, is about a band uh, from Canada. Uh, first got together in 1973 as high school students, uh, Steve Lips. Low and Rob Reiner, Rob with two B's, not related to the Rob Reiner, the director. I think who was the guy we interviewed, Sarah? Uh, because we have a actually, we're going to be we interviewed the lips guy and do not be calling about this now, but uh, at some point soon, we'll be giving away a, a pair of tickets for you to see Envil live at the Wonder Ballroom. So uh, we've had them on the show. I think one of the guys showed up and the other guy had some other engagement or whatever. Was it mm. lips? It was lips, and I couldn't bring myself to call him that. Just, I can't call a grown man. It was two P's, I think, as well. Not unlike no, Lips Incorporated. One, one, no, the Rob Reiner is two B's, but Lips is just normal. So Lips. very confusing. But they formed this band in high school. Yeah. And then they just never break up, right? Right. They they vowed that they would stay together until they were old and keep rocking. And uh, they actually had some success in the 80s. Uh, they had one big record. They did a, a massive metal tour in 84 in Japan. Um, but they never broke into like the top, you know, echelon of like Metallica, Anthrax, that sort of thing. And today they're just mostly forgotten. One guy, they, they 
the documentary is, uh, was made by a guy who actually was a roadie for them when he was 15 years old, 35 years ago, and uh, finds them uh, one guy's driving around delivering meals to schools. The other guy works in devolution. And uh, they put together a European tour where they go to like mostly half empty bars in like Munich and stuff. And uh, it's the, the tour is uh, organized by a hardcore fan of theirs and only like really sketchily organized. And it is, uh, it's been described as being spinal tap, only actually a real documentary. And it is, it's, it's funny, but it's also, uh, it's also very sort of heartwarming and hopeful because it's like there's something very cool about watching these guys still, you know, pursuing music. I missed it when it was at Cinema 21. It came to town and I didn't get a chance to see it. I, that's actually when we interviewed the guy and I I meant to go and then I just, I blinked and it was gone. But it's out on DVD today, which means that I, it, it seemed to be two things. One, sort of a Spinal Tap deal. And then on the other hand, it had like kind of that American movie yeah. quality of the coven uh the guy where he's just you know in the face of adversity and perhaps limited abilities he just plunges on just undaunted undeterred yeah and it's 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 one of those things where i think that uh, the lips lips particularly is an interesting character because he's one of those guys that's just always very hopeful very optimistic no matter what happens they're at this big music uh, vi- uh festival in sweden and he's backstage looks at the camera and with this look of just sheer delight in his face he goes okay right now we're gonna try to talk to ta- to ted nugent and that's like a highlight he's gonna try to talk to ted nugent. but he just he gets such joy out of the music and of doing stuff. how old are the guys in this band now uh 50 i uh, see yeah i mean there's something to be said look i just uh, christ i was at the, the rosenal this week and i saw lemmy who is by my calculations 64 yeah about to be 65 and who, who just destroyed an entire room full of people i mean as though he had taken a flamethrower to us yeah iggy pop's still dragging it out and he looked like he was on the verge of death when he was 30 you know oh, so <laughs> who what what chick did i just see that looks like iggy pop Oh, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Oh. Was, it, was that her that I was just... Uh, that... She looks awful. Man, you see Lindsay Lohan now, and she looks... I said that she kind of looks like one of those like Helen Gurley Brown women who's like 90 but trying to look 18, but she does look like Iggy Pop as well, where you just wonder, like, my God, what has happened to you? There's a photo. I think it's in uh, Entertainment Weekly this week, and it's Madonna at a concert, and she's talking to a fan. Ugh. There's some uh, drag queen who goes to all her shows and dresses as her and sits in the front row. And her hair is all sort of straw-like and dry, and she's wearing these these big black-framed emo guy glasses. I swear to God, she looks exactly like Garth from Wayne's World. That is awesome. Where she begins to look like a uh, like a scarecrow version of herself that somebody put in a field to, to keep crows away. Um, but she looks all grisly too. Not to just get off and do a Madonna thing here, but, but wasn't it Guy Ritchie who said that having sex with her was like being with a piece of gristle? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a thing you want your kids to read. She was just on uh, SNL this weekend though with with Lady right, Gaga. With Lady and Gaga. She's funny. And she. Yeah, she's okay. Yeah. But she looked. She actually looked pretty good. She yeah. didn't look scary and grisly. I don't know. I just it's a bad sign when the drag queen to impersonate you start to look better and more yeah. desirable uh, than you, than you yourself do. But what was my point? I'm working backward. Iggy Pop, Lemmy, Rosalind, Anvil. Um, the uh, the one sequence from that. Is it just called Anvil, the story of Anvil? Yeah, Anvil, exclamation point, the story of Anvil. It's the exclamation point that really sells it. The uh, 
the one scene that I uh, that I saw all the way through, and it was on um, I think it was online, it was on their website or something, is one of these the gigs where they're playing a bar with like nine people or something, and it is for all the world. It's like they're in that Spinal Tap sequence where he goes, "I'm not going to do a jazz odyssey in front of a festival crowd," and then they cut to there's like five people sitting at there, two of whom are just waiting to buy snow cones or something, and it seems like it would be kind of depressing, but apparently it is a bit of a, is, a bit yeah, of a heartwarming film. It is. It's not depressing at all, and it's a lot of fun. And if awesome. you are a uh, heavy metal fan, I think you'll you'll get something of a kick Excellent. out of it. What else might I be able to purchase at the fine DVD Emporium nearest to my home, Don Taylor? A terrific movie that many people have not seen. It was uh, a lot of people really enjoyed it at uh, the 2008 Sundance Festival, and it has not been didn't get a wide release. It's called Assassination of a High School President. Um, it was written interestingly by two South Park production assistants. And uh, it's a, it's a basically your film noir classic murder mystery, only without the murder. And it takes place in a com- in in a high school, a private prep school. Uh, one reviewer said, and I, I wrote this down because I liked the way the guy put it. That imagine if John Hughes made Chinatown set in high school. It's um, it was actually written before Brick. I was going to say because Brick is sort of has that same thing yeah. going on. And it is there's a similar sort of vibe to it, except that this is played more as a comedy. Uh, very much a Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe thing. Uh, the guy does voiceovers. He is the the main character is a writer for the high school paper. Does it have a lot of that? I was sitting in my office drinking a glass of breakfast, wondering when the next big case had happened when exactly. she walked in. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and he's uh, he's investigating um, the the theft of some SAT score uh, tests, finished SAT tests from the high school principal's uh, safe. And everything points to the school president. He writes this this expose. The school president goes down. But then, as he digs in further, he discovers it's far more complicated than that. And that guy may not have been guilty. It's at not all. what it appears to be on the surface. Yeah. It has um, the the name in this movie uh, is Misha Barton, who I don't really care oh, for man. as a rule, but she's actually very good in. What this. year was this made? Uh, it was at Sundance in 2008. So, so is this Misha Barton where you can see her spine from the front? Misha no, Barton? She's, yeah, well, always. But uh-huh. she's, she's still really tiny. She's very tiny and very skinny, but she doesn't look like she's about to fall over, and she doesn't look like she's suffering from exhaustion in this. <laughs> uh, but she actually does a really good job. But the, the key for me, the, the kid, I can't remember his name, I didn't write it down, who is the lead, is very good. But the uh, school principal is played by Bruce Willis as this very... The sort of prototypical angry, tightly wound guy who is always talking about his time in Desert Storm, and he has this obsession with them chewing gum, and he's he's awesome. What is it with the, the Bruce? Well, Bruce Willis is another one of those uh, the guys, sort of like Bill Murray, who, uh, without being more specific. Uh, Bill Murray shows up in a lot of films where you would not necessarily expect him. Uh, and he does these sort of weird offbeat things. And Bruce Willis seems to be doing a lot of that, too. Bruce Willis is a guy who's really grown on, I think, everybody over the years. I remember he did Die Hard, and then it's, he did, I think, within the space of two years, he did Striking Distance and Hudson Hawk both. <laughs> like, eight within 18 months, it was like Hudson Hawk, Striking Distance, bam, back to back. Like, that's how I bring it. I'm Bruce Willis. And everybody was like, well, that's a guy we don't have to worry about anymore. And just, we just sort of consigned him to the recycle bin of our brains. And then he really worked to rehabilitate himself. So I, I'm glad to see him doing stuff like this. He's a really smart guy. He seemed to really learn the lesson of Pulp Fiction and said, oh, yeah, okay, this works. As opposed to John Travolta, who uh, yeah. said, no, I'm just going to do 100 movies a year. Yeah. Uh, can I just tell you, by the way, our friend Siegfried took a trip to, I believe it was Italy, uh, about, uh, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago. For the sole purpose of staying in a hotel room that is adjacent to the town square where they filmed large sections of Hudson Hawk. Because he said, like, I just love that movie. <laughs> like, Hudson Hawk is 
like it's it's I, I just wanted to like be there and, and just like see it from my window. So he's staying there in a hotel. God knows what cost to fly to Italy, stay in a hotel. Have you seen Hudson Hawk, Sarah? No. No, of course not. No one has. It, I don't even know how to describe Hudson Hawk. It's just, it's just awful. It's just irredeemably bad to most people, except to Siegfried, who like just wanted to go and like stay in this room so I could look out. It's like like there was where Bruce Willis stood. I mean, which is like, why would you do that? The answer is uh, because there there is there is something in every piece of filmmaking uh, for everybody. Uh, Zombieland. Zombieland. I did want to, um, I'm glad you brought that up. That's the thing I was going through. I was hoping to, uh, actually school you a little on why you were wrong Bring about it. the zombies. Go ahead. They are not undead zombies in uh, Zombieland. They're infected. It is, it is expl- yes. So therefore, they do not have to be shot in the head. The double tap is just to make Does sure. Does it say somewhere in the movie that they're yes. infected? Yes. When he, does he say that? He has a little voiceover thing where he he gives you the overdue that it says first there was mad cow, then there was mad, mad be- human disease. Mad disease. Right. Yeah, that it's an infection that, that makes your brain swell up and then you go crazy and... and yeah, see, the waters have become so muddled that we're going to, this is a good time to point out, we're going to be talking to zombie uh, survival guide author Max Brooks here around 720, because in Max Brooks, because he's sort of, the, he's laid down kind of the new zombie law for most yeah. people with uh, zombie survival guide World War II, where it's a virus, it is an organic, you know, it's a disease that causes it there too, but his zombies are still the prototypical shuffling brain yeah. zombies. It's all very, uh, it's all very confusing. I was just obsessed with a that cool type thing that Sarah pointed out, where they were putting the words on the screen and the sort of rules, and wondering if they were going to do more of that, and then just desperately praying that that main character would be killed at some point. I was just, it was very. I don't know why you hate him so much. Because imagine yourself being stuck in a car with that guy. Well, there you go. End. (laughs) I mean, he's irritating. That's why he is quite irritating. Uh, I mean, which I guess is maybe the point. I just uh, he was just like a collection of bad Woody Allen ripoff mannerisms to me. But yeah, he's kind of got this whole Michael Sarah filtered through Woody Allen kind of. Who is that? Is that worse for that guy or for Michael Sarah that everybody says that? I think about that a lot actually. Probably for Michael Sarah. Probably for Michael Sarah. Right on the coattails of Michael Sarah. Well, Michael Sarah, I think, opened the door for a type sort of like Zach Braff opened the door for Zach Braff type for a couple years off a little bit and looks. Yeah. over there because I'm really nervous. Yeah. Uh, to wrap all this up, do you know who that kid is in Zombieland? I finally figured out why he looks so familiar. Todd the Corpse, uh, ironically enough, figured it out for well, me. Well, I know what movie I know him from. He is Haley's, He is Haley Eisenberg's older brother. Haley Eisenberg is that creepy little girl with the black devil eyes that used to be in the Diet Coke ads. And you would see them in movie theaters in the don't smoke, turn off yourself. I think she was a little girl with black eyes and curly long oh, hair. Oh, she was so annoying. Creepy girl? That's her older brother. That's where I, That's why he looks so familiar, because he looks just like her. He looks exactly like her with the buck teeth. Yeah, he is Haley Eisenberg's older brother. Yeah, but he did he did definitely uh, get the goods when it came to Seriously. genetics there in that family. He's the Sean uh, to her David Cassidy. And that young man was Haley Eisenberg's brother. Alright, uh, on that note, you can read her at cinematical.com and movies.com. She is John Taylor. Uh, Max Brooks, author of the Zombie Survival Guide and the new graphic novel, Zombie Survival Guide, reported attacks coming up next. Dax Hold at 8 o'clock, 820. We will encore our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore. Stay there. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday morning. Don't go anywhere. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Like this. This is Rock 101. You, sir, I'm not going to amount to much. KUFO.
It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. In mere moments, we will be joined by Mr. Max Brooks, the author of World War Z and the Zombie Survival Guide, as well as the new graphic novel, Zombie Survival Guide Recorded Attacks. Uh, coming up at 8 o'clock, Dax Holt from TMZ, and an encore of our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore coming up uh, at 820. Tim Riley is tracking the following stories for you on this Tuesday. So there is an Amber Alert after all. One uh, apparently was erroneously put out. Beaverton Donnie's is robbed, and Al-Qaeda comes up with some creative ways of bombing other people that we didn't even think of before. I'm going to tell you all about it in a few minutes. Uh, we also have some additional uh, sound on the David Letterman thing from last night. Yes. And uh, at some point before the bottom of the hour, you'll have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Anvil live at the Wonder Ballroom on February 11th. So that is coming up uh, shortly. So do be listening for that, won't you please? He is the author of the Zombie Survival Guide as well as World War Z. His new book is the graphic novel Zombie Survival Guide Recorded Attacks uh, in stores this week. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Mr. Max Brooks. Good morning to you, sir. How are you on this Tuesday? Good morning. Good to be here. Your book is a uh, a chronicle of uh, zombie attacks kind of through recorded history. starts all the way back in the earliest uh, days, the dawn of man, all the way through modern times. And you seem to fixate on certain eras as uh, more um, prone to or at risk for uh, the zombie apocalypse. Your assessment as a man who knows about all things uh, walking and rotting, uh, why are are some eras of history just sort of uh, more predisposed to that? Well, the point is not that uh, certain areas of history are. It's that these are the areas that we know about. That is why the book is recorded attacks. Uh, these other attacks might have happened, but these are only the ones we know about. We've had on this show uh, a sort of a long, ongoing debate about the best place to have, um, the best place to seek refuge during the zombie apocalypse. And I myself have clung to the idea of Costco for the longest time. And there have just been debates of just the most uh, the vitriolic variety about whether or not Costco is you know, the place where you can sort of weather the undead storm. Uh, your thoughts on that, sir? Oh, uh, definitely not. You don't want to go anywhere that advertises, because those are the places that are going to be looted. You want to go to some place like a distribution center, a warehouse, a place where all the goods from China are going to Costco but have to make a stopover. So now I've just been publicly uh, pwned by Max Brooks, and now I have just been repudiated from the highest levels of zombie bureaucracy here. All right, hold on. I have to have a, make a note to go uh, shame myself and flagellate myself uh, later on for this, uh, for this public failure. Um, what are some places, you know, in terms of when you are hiding out and you're sort of uh, waiting for the, uh, for the dead to sort of shuffle off to their, uh, their eventual rotting demise, what are places that seem like they might not be good refuges. In other words, the non-obvious choice that is probably still the safest place you can go. Okay. You want to go to places that no one else has thought of. You want to go to a place like a library, uh, because in this country, uh, nobody knows where they are. So that's already a plus. (laughs) You mentioned, I think, at one point, hiding out in a prison or a jail as well, which seems like it might be a little bit of a a mixed bag. Seems like if you're going to be stashing yourself behind bars, you're probably going to be, you know, behind bars with any number of other people also behind bars. So that might work out uh, poorly. Is there a key to picking the best prison in which to hide during the zombie apocalypse? Yes, the empty ones. So do I need to find a, uh, I need to find the prison that is being constructed as we speak? Or one that when the zombie outbreak happens, they open the doors and let them out. 
Otherwise, you're going to become very friendly with the Aryan nation very fast. Which is a, a thing I try to avoid in all walks of life, zombie and uh, and otherwise. Uh, we're talking to Max Brooks. He's the author of the Zombie Survival Guide, uh, Recorded Attacks. As uh, Dr. Zoidberg would probably say, why always the zombies? Where did this um, Where did this sort of obsession about writing with zombies? It started with Zombie Survival Guide, then World War Z, now the new graphic novel. Is that a thing you were just drawn to as an author, or is it? Did you just feel like it hadn't been done definitively? As an author, as as a human being, I am afraid of zombies, and the main reason is they don't obey the rules that other monsters do. And when you say they don't obey the rules, what do you mean by that? I mean that most other monsters you have to go find. And as far as I'm concerned, if you go find them, that's your problem. Zombies come to you. You can be minding your own business, and zombies will come through your door or your window. That's terrifying. What do you think about some of the pop culture depictions of zombies that we've seen recently where zombies are moving at uh, what I would call a pretty fast clip? Uh, you know, you see a pack of zombies sort of running down the street like they're preparing for some sort of, uh, you know, worm-filled Boston marathon. Uh, how do you feel about running zombies, sir? Well, I think, I think there's a good way to clarify and classify. Uh, slow zombies are based on the scientific probability of necrotic flesh under pressure. And fast zombies suck. <laughs> I don't think I can boil it down any more simply than that. The new book is in stores this week, The Zombie Survival Guide, Recorded Attacks uh, by Max Brooks, uh, of course, the author of World War Z and uh, The Zombie Survival Guide. It is available now. Buy it, I command you. Uh, best of continued success in all things, and of course, uh, with avoiding the undead when they inevitably do come for us all, sir, I will be any place but Costco. You have a good day. Good for you. Thank you. There you go. That is Mr. Max Brooks, ladies and gentlemen, the author of uh, The Zombie Survival Guide, Recorded Attacks. I'm going to actually excerpt that, and I'm going to file it on the website back-to-back with the last interview we did with him. I was talking to Brent. Actually, we were talking about this during the break about whether it was going to be like Max Brooks' author or whether it was going to be Max Brooks' zombie expert. Clearly, we got the latter today. This is Max Brooks, zombie expert. That's awesome. What is his? I wonder what he his conversation with his dad because his dad is Mel Brooks. That's the thing. I wonder, if, like, if his dad has approached him about the inevitable transformation into a stage musical of some kind, where it's you know like Zombie the Musical or whatever. Uh, if you want to learn uh, more about Max Brooks, you go to KUFO.com. You can hear this interview later today. You can also hear the interview we did with him promoting World War Z. Somebody asked me if World War Z is going to be made into a video game. He didn't address that uh, today, but the last time we spoke with him, he did actually note that because they are making it into a movie, uh, it will inevitably uh, be made into a game. And I heard uh, rumors. These are just rumors. I'm not saying this is true. I don't know that it's definitively the case. I have heard rumors. Again, just speculation. Uh, speculation is just the, 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 the supposition. That they are going to make a massively multiplayer online role-playing game version of World War Z, in which it will be just some huge, immense, all-encompassing sort of undead world that you can play with. Which so means just, you'll never leave your house. Again. Which means I will never leave the house again. Because yeah. I've because resi- I'm not much into role-playing games. I've resisted, but that would be the uh, that would be the weakness of my armor, like the dragon smog. Uh, it's 503-228-4101. The Rick Emerson Show continues next with Tim Riley. We've also got uh, Dax Holt from TMZ coming up at eight o'clock. At eight twenty, we will encore. 
our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore, ladies and gentlemen. And if you were caller 10 right now at 503 you're going to get a pair of tickets to see Anvil live at the Wonder Ballroom February 11th, along with a showing of the documentary before the live set. Tickets go on sale uh, this Thursday and be available at Ticketmaster.com. It's a 21 and over show. But if you're caller 10 right now, you will score a pair of tickets to see Anvil at the Wonder Ballroom. 503-228-4101. We're live from Portland. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us today. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include... Wait, is Rick Springfield tomorrow? I never thought I would use that phrase out loud. Indeed he is. Uh, Rick Springfield tomorrow. Next week, our guests will include Richard Belzer. Uh, this email says, Rick, FYI, I was talking about when we interviewed uh, Max Brooks just now, I was talking about the, the, the massively multiplayer online role-playing game uh, based on World War Z. That is just a rumor. I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's just a story I heard. Uh, this email says... FYI, there is a fairly extensive yet underplayed free MMORPG online called Dead Frontier or something like that. My husband plays it quite a lot. It's an overhead view of your character. You walk around what is actually quite a large city map, killing zombies, looting buildings. My understanding is that the further you get from your base, the harder the zombies become to kill and run from. Also, my husband's character has been surviving on dog biscuits for quite some time now. I find this thoroughly amusing. And I would imagine not a little bit sad. It is from uh, Autumn. All right. Uh, hello, Sarah Dillon. How are you? Hi, good. I just found the best news for you ever. But I kind of want to make you guess because it's that good. You realize that that is the vaguest thing on earth, having me guess at, quote, news. All right. So there's a there's a sequel to a movie coming out. Okay. There's a sequel to a movie. Yes. And it's one of your favorite movies ever. Uh, one of my favorite movies Red ever Dawn. is being sequelized. Or, now, is this can a, you see which one it is? Is this a remake or a sequel? <laughs> it's a sequel. It is, is a necessary? sequel. <laughs> All right. Uh... Let's see. Um, uh, okay, no, no, wait, hold on. Comedy or drama? Drama. Well, no, kind of somewhere in between. Tambu, <laughs> musical or action? Is it a musical? Somewhere in between. Well, you're asking like all these questions. Okay, let's all stop. It's a comma drama. Is it a musical? No. Is it? A, but it is a. You would describe it but as. It has music in it. Is it mostly dramatic or mostly comedic? Mostly dramatic, but turns, but um, is unintentionally comedic. Mm. Unintentionally, that's enough of a question. Yeah, Wait, hold enough. on. I didn't want to even say that. But it's unintentionally comedic. Yeah, that narrows it down. It does. Uh, it does. There's like five mil. This mystery science theater is predicated no, is, on no, movies no. that are unintentionally comedic. No. Uh, within the last ten years. Yes. Within the last ten years, Showgirls. Yes. <gasps> you lie. Get out. Hey, no. by the way, I got that in Show less than five questions, Show you bastards. Showgirls, the sequel. We're, we're surprised that to is that awesome. One. Are you kidding me? You it's betcha. It's going to be called Showgirls Story of Hope. Please tell me that Joe Esterhaus is writing it. Uh, let's see. It's, uh, it's just too uh, good to be true. No writer, director, uh, Mark Vorlander. Mark Vorlander. Wait, why do I know that name? That sounds from Mark Vorlander has done something, I think. There's a Showgirls sequel? Okay, yeah. the sequel will focus on Penny slash Hope, the dumb stripper in the first Showgirls. Uh, in the sequel, Hope dies of a cocaine contamination overdose, and her brother goes to Frankfurt to get revenge, or comes from Frankfurt to get revenge on those responsible for her death. That sounds compelling. Wait a minute, is Penny the dumb stripper? Is... Penny's the one who was humping uh, the dude. The, she, the dance the instructor dance guy. Did. Yeah. You got more natural talent than anybody I ever seen! <laughs> All right. 
Wow. Dancing ain't effing. I love showgirls. God I love help it me. So much. I love showgirls more than you I can even. You bought that for me for my birthday last. Yes, year. I did. <laughs> uh, that's and I don't think I don't realize that that's a passive way of reminding me that your birthday is coming up. I don't know uh, what you're talking this, about. It's uh, just, this just week, on Friday, no big deal. I love it's my last twentieth birthday. Showgirls is just it is just fantastic. I mean, there's and I know that people. It has sort of become a movie that people also like ironically, and I get that. I really do. But I have to tell you that well, I remember. You love it unironically. I know this. I just because I mean I remember seeing it the when it first opened and thinking to myself, what an awesome movie this is. This is a, I should see this all the time. I feel like I can go. I feel like I can conquer the world. Like I can go do anything. So uh, all right, well there you go. I was trying to find my uh, showgirls. I knew um, you were trying to. I was trying to find my showgirls sound here, but I don't have it. We'll come back from the break with it. Okay. At the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. Ministry of Truth. This is Tim Riley. Greetings, it is 748. It's going to be mostly sunny today. Highest may hit 7, a little bit warmer than yesterday. Well, AAA reports the price of gasoline has fallen six whole cents statewide over the past few days, but we still have the fifth highest gas prices in the nation. Hey, all you kids, listen up, and this will be good for you. Tomorrow is bike and walk to school day. How many of you are going to do that? Uh, last year, uh, 41% of kids in Portland did it. So all of you can do it this year. That's just a stupid It'll idea. get rid of your obesity. No, that's a, I mean, there's no demographic that that is going to be less effective on than school kids. Because either A, mm. you are already biking or walking to school, in which case you don't need to be told to do it. Or you're not biking or walking to school, which means you are either riding the bus or you have your driver's license. If you're riding the bus, that means you live far enough away that walking and biking to school is not practical. If you have your driver's license and you're a kid, ain't nothing going to get you out of your car if you're a teenager. That is among the worst ideas I've heard all week, and that really is saying something. Well, uh, Al-Qaeda has a new idea. They developed a new tactic that allows suicide bombers to breach even the tightest of security. This happened when somebody went to visit the Saudi prince. How did this happen? Well, now, a cut a guy said he was going to turn over a new leaf and wanted to meet the uh, Saudi prince to tell him. So, of course, he went through the usual uh, metal detectors and, uh, you know, the highest security devices. Right. Of course, the Saudis would have them. Well, so he sits down next to the Saudi prince. What the Saudi prince didn't know, he did have a bomb on him. It was undetected because the bomb was up the guy's rectum. So, <laughs> rectum. Somebody, so somebody with a cell phone presses... Press 7 to blow up posterior. Ba-boom. So this guy's rectum and the rest of him blew up in front of the Saudi prince. Uh, and, of course, there's nothing left to him. The Saudi prince is covered with pieces of a rectum. And uh, his people came in and cleaned him up. He was sl- slightly wounded. But now everybody's afraid because we're spending all this money on defense. And somebody could just put a bomb up their posterior and ruin things for everyone. They can put a, uh, they can put a bomb uh, where, Sarah? Right across his posterior. All right, thank you. He's covered in pieces of some guy's rectum. Yeah. Every time I wow. say out loud to myself, well, that's a phrase I never thought I'd use, like with Rick Springfield, there was always a phrase about five minutes later that's even better and less expected. So we spend billions and billions of dollars to fight these people, and then they come up with this cheap idea. So this bomb did, in fact, damn near kill him. Yes. Rectum. Never mind. Um, I just imagine being the guy that has to like remove the pieces of rectum from the other guy. I'm sorry, your highness. You appear to have the tiniest bit of rectum on your chin. Hold on a second. Let me brushing it. Well, I mean, seriously, you wouldn't expect you sitting across from some guy and suddenly his remove ass explodes this rectum immediately. <laughs> Wiper. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so Levi Johnson is in a brand new commercial. He is promoting wonderful pistachios. He doesn't say very much. He's accompanied by his uh, bodyguard, whose name is Tank. 
And uh, let's play a little bit of this. I posted this on uh, RileyLive.com. I don't think he says very much. Now Levi Johnston does it with protection. Wonderful pistachios. Get cracking. Well, I mean, I don't understand. What do you mean he does it with protect? Oh, because he's got security and yeah. he's not knocking up like a governor's daughter. All right. So this is so this is a reference to the fact that he had a kid he didn't want. So that's a little bit awkward, I would imagine, if you're that uh, if you're that baby mm-hmm. who sees this someday. Levi Johnson is advertising Potashios. Didn't we hear he's going to be posing in Playgirl too? Yes. Or is that just a rumor? Well, do we he's to- waiting for that, and he decided to do uh, promote wonderful pistachios. He decided he's just starting with the nuts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Okay. Uh, David Letterman spoke out again about the extortion plot and sex scandal swirling around him on last night on his program. The host issued another apology this time to his staff. The staff here has been uh, wonderfully supportive to me, not not just uh, through this furor, but uh, through all the years that uh, that we've been on television and especially all the years here at CBS. So again, my thanks to the staff for once again uh, putting up with something uh, stupid I've gotten myself involved in. Time to apologize to the ladies. I'm not having sex with these women. Uh, those episodes are in, in the past. So my apologies to uh, subjecting them to that vulnerability. Then he apologizes to his wife. She has been horribly uh, hurt uh, by my behavior. And when, when something happens like that, if you, if you hurt a person, then it's your responsibility. You try to fix it. And at that point, there's only two things that can happen. Either you're going to make some progress and get it fixed, or you're going to fall short and perhaps not get it fixed. So let me tell you, folks, I got my work cut out for me. So he still has to get it fixed. I uh, All I really saw of that last night was that sequence. I didn't get a chance to see much of the rest of the show because I had set at the tape and then I woke up this morning and sort of just, you know, kind of flicked through to where that stuff was happening. So I didn't get to see because I think Steve Martin was one of the guests last night. I didn't get to see what his reaction to this was, because it's got to be weird to be booked on Letterman's show to promote whatever your new project is. And have him talking. Yeah, like he leads up to you with going like, and I was humping my intern for 15 years. I know that you like him, but now I just, he just seems like kind of like a slime ball to me. Well, and I guess you could tell that he never thought that he'd get caught. Well, that's, see, but that's my thing is that's, I'm not saying, like, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying like, Mm. that's my thing is like, I guess it just doesn't surprise me. You know what I mean? It's like I just I did the, in the sense that Langan's like we, I go back to the Sam Adams thing. Like the Sam Adams thing didn't didn't really surprise me. The secret bedroom hidden uh, in the upstairs of the Ed Sullivan Theater is a little odd. I would imagine that David Letterman though would be I was going to say be a little bit more discreet, but I mean I guess he was. I mean apparently I mean if he's you know if that other intern or whoever that other chick was was like dating him in 1990 or 1991. I mean that's almost 20 years ago. So. And I guess he probably was pretty discreet by show business standards, but it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's, it does become one of those things that like, you know, it's like the asterisk, uh, you know, next to his name where it's like David Letterman, blah, 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 blah. And the intern humper. Yeah. I mean, that's like with the Wikipedia entry where it's the whole like, and the show is rocked by revelations in 2009 that, you know, just sort of like Dan Rather gets screwed by that George W. Bush, uh, you know, document thing like for the rest of his life. Then that uh, pretty former staffer, Stephanie Burkett, wrote in her diary that she enjoyed romantic hikes last fall at Letterman's sprawling ranch in eastern Montana. And uh, Letterman was such a good friend that at least once a week, he would also drive to the Bickett home in Connecticut, where she had been sharing a house with Halderman. That's a guy. Since he divorced his wife in 2004. By the way, never trust a guy named Haldeman with your secrets. That yes. uh, That is one of the lessons from history. It's 503-228-4101. 503 
four one zero one. And by the way, in case you did not hear this, oh, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna use our instant replay for something else here. I'm gonna uh, find a reason to use. If in case you didn't hear our breaking news from just moments ago, this just in: there will be. I repeat, there will be a sequel to Showgirls. Showgirls, hopes and dr- is that hopes and dreams? Is that what it's called? Not written by Joe Esterhaus, but fated to become Showgirl's wonderful. Showgirls' story of hope. And so, but this is story of hope. But it's the waitress from the from the first one who's humping the dance instructor. But she dies in the sequel, and then her brother comes from where? Montana. From wait, her brother goes to Frankfurt to get revenge on those responsible for her death. Wait, so this doesn't even take place in Vegas? No, because I guess the cocaine that she dies from it was contaminated in Frankfurt. So her angry brother goes to Frankfurt to kill them, and um, they're shooting it on a twenty-five million dollar budget. You're sure this is a sequel to Showgirls? Because this sounds, it sounds like it has soap opera. Showgirls: The Story of Hope. This this appears to have absolutely zero connection. I mean, I know that it's you know the sequels sometimes take place in a different uh, world altogether. But I mean, really, if you're going to use the showgirl's name, it ought not be sullied in this way. You got to stay true to the, uh, you know, to the Nomi Malone spirit of the original. Well, on that note, it is the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program coming up in the next hour. TMC's Dax Holt and an encore of our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore. Keep listening. Hey, oh, wait a minute. Listen, just listen. You got more natural talent when you dance than anybody I've ever seen. Look, I've seen a lot of dancers. I studied in New York. Alvin Ailey. You burn when you dance. Yeah, you said I couldn't. Oh, you gotta hold some of it in. And you got some to learn dancing ain't What's that? More wisdom? I know that. Well, it ain't right. You got too much talent for it to be right. Get out of here! Yeah. Okay. Girls! Right, up to the ceiling. Yeah? Right. This is it. Nomi. Hey. Okay. Nikki, Julie, Dina, and you know Gay. How you doing? They'll run you through it once, you just watch, and then we'll blend you in. Okay, music! Go! Ha! Go! Go! Ha! Higher! Not that high! Stay in sync! One, two, three, four! Thrust it! Thrust it! Thrust it! Thrust it! Come on, thrust it! Bob! Okay. That's enough. Thank you, ladies. How does she do? She's no butterfly. Tony, she's all pelvic thrust. I mean, she prowls. She's got it. I wonder how she got it. Well, she certainly didn't learn it. She learned it all right, but they don't teach it in any class. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101. KUFO. KUFO Portland. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Coming up at 820, we will have an encore of our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore. That is uh, 820. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include author Charles R. Cross. He's uh, written the book uh, Shadows Taller Than Our Souls, which is this... To call it a book is really just not even to, to do it justice, though. It is this massive sort of bound exhibit of Led Zeppelin memorabilia and history. Sarah, you saw it. I was uh, showing it to you. It's amazing. It is is incredible. It is probably the best, most interesting, most elaborate book about a rock band that I've ever seen. Um, It's basically, you know, it's a coffee table book, which I guess just means that it's big, you know, it's oversized. 
but it is kind of a chronological history of Led Zeppelin. But the thing they've done is, throughout the book, they have put reproductions of all of this um, sort of Zeppelin memorabilia. And I don't mean memorabilia like, you know, like fan stuff. I mean like... Like reproductions of the original press releases about a hot new blues band from England. And there's a reproduction of one of their 45 singles. Uh, they've got little miniature repro, and it's all stuff that you can take out. It's sort of like, I almost want to call it like a pop up book, but it's not that. It but is. It's, it's like a kid's book where like, like there are little prizes inside of it. Totally. That's exactly the best way to describe it. And it's like we're on every page, there's something that you can kind of take out and look at or it unfolds or whatever. Uh, there is a, they've got actually a reproduction inside that you can sort of take out and hang up if you want of, one of those like telephone pole flyer type ads from Zeppelin's first show in Seattle, which would have been, I think, in like 69 or something like that. It's just it's just the most amazing book. Uh, it really is. This is a cliche, but it's one of those books that is really more a work of art uh, than it is uh, than it is a, a book. For the reading and whatnot. Uh, in any event, so he also wrote that uh, Nirvana book, the uh, Heavier Than Heaven book about Kirk, uh, Kirk Cobain. So, uh, and he wrote for the Rocket in Seattle. So he's a guy who knows what he's talking about. Charles R. Cross tomorrow. Also, the, the, on the completely end of the reading scale, uh, we're going to be talking to the guys who publish the greatest newspaper in all the world. Busted. It is the greatest paper in the world. I've got the new issue right here. Hold Dude, on. I didn't tell you. My uh, so Ryan's. Oh, maybe I shouldn't specify. Uh, it's too late. Okay, uh, somebody's... Okay. <laughs> somebody's. Ryan. <laughs> yes, I think I've cracked the code. Okay, a friend of Ryan's... Is that like being a friend of Bill W.? Yeah, a friend of Ryan... Uh, this is looking, your boyfriend. Yes, and uh, he was looking in Busted, and he found his boss. That is awesome. This past Sunday, and I saw him, and he was like over at Ryan's house, and he's like chain smoking, and he's just like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. He's like, I see my boss in this. And- was he busted for something icky? For sodomy? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm not laughing. I'm not trying to imply that sodomy is funny. Okay. Well, it is funny sometimes. Which I don't understand what exactly legally, like, what is being busted for sodomy? Uh, well, that's a good question no, legally. We've, we've I mean, been talking about this, like, we honestly sat there and talked about it for about 20 minutes and couldn't figure it out. Well, does it say, I mean... It just it, says sodomy. It doesn't say rape. It doesn't say... Now, I'm presuming, this is just my observations, and again, obviously everybody in Look Who's Been Busted... We'll be interviewing the publishers of that tomorrow. I should get, you have your copy? I have my copy on me, too. Do you have the one with the hot, busted babes on the front? It's a collector's <laughs> issue? I have to get this thing the, the instant it comes out, though, because it's like it's sold out everywhere in is, Portland. Is there a male and female edition, or is it co-ed? Oh, it's, it's co-ed. co-ed Tim. Oh, it is. I had to go to two plaid pantries before I got it. It oh, was yeah. sold out everywhere. So we're going to talk to these guys tomorrow. Um, the, sodomy as a legal, as a crime, though, is interesting because I think that sodomy is, uh, traditionally speaking, is sort of a um, damn near killed him. Uh, oriented uh, activity, but but in term, but in legal terms, because presumably that would be non-consensual. And again, everybody but who's then that would be rape. Well, but see, I hate to say this, but like Roman Polanski didn't get hit with a rape charge. It was like a under consensual, non-consensual underage something or other. So like just because they don't use the word rape, I guess that doesn't mean it's not. I should say as a blanket statement, obviously everybody in Look Who's Been Busted is alleged to have committed a crime. They are, of course. Innocent until proven guilty. Uh, so, and I'm sure that mo- I'm sure it's a misunderstanding uh, with most. I like this guy with the lazy eye. He's my favorite. I like this woman who has stars tattooed all over her chin. That's uh, that's a good look. Uh, the, uh, Have you ever gone through and tried to um, like uh, and played the game with another person where you try to guess what somebody's uh, arrested for? Um, it's pretty fun. We do that, and uh, we also do the okay. Um, you know, like if you had to. 
Oh, I see the girl with the stars on her face. Yeah, she's got, to, and they're all over her chin too. Wow, she's freaky looking. No, Laura and I will go through this, and we will try to picture, like, we'll try to sort of caption these, try to figure out like what they're thinking. So, if you haven't seen this newspaper, it's called "Look Who's Been Buffed." It's available at plaid pantries and finer convenience stores everywhere. The single best mugshot, by the way, in this week's issue. And I realize I'm talking about a picture on the radio, but everybody's just going to have to be okay with that. Uh, the single best picture, and it's on page. If you have the new issue, this is like picture pages style. You can go along with it. How often does this come out? It comes Once out every week, week Tim. Oh. Um, I look forward to it. It is. It's like the highlight of my week. You know, so just, I guess there are enough to fill up a newspaper. There's no getting around the fact that it is. Uh, it really is just. It is good times for everybody. The best picture, and I can't. I, I can't find it here. But it's. It's like toward the. Oh, here we go. It's the, it's the final page. It is on page twenty-three at the bottom under busted bullies. The, oh. sing, the single best thing. Let me guess. This guy Robert Wood. Yes. <laughs> The charge is interfering with a peace officer, and his face is bloodied and bruised like nobody's business. It is oh, awesome. So that that's the bad. he was beaten. Clearly, he clearly the peace officer was accompanied by a less peaceful the war officer because they uh, they lit this guy up like he was a uh, like he was a, a candle. I mean, it's it's just awesome. The guy above him's name is Brain. Brain. So it is Brain Adams. <laughs> Anyway, so you get a chance to pick up Look Who's Been Busted. We'll be talking to the guys who published this fine newspaper tomorrow. Uh, also, Rick Springfield, who will be on this uh, season of Californication, which I think has actually just been renewed for a fourth season as well. It's all very exciting. After that conversation, I feel really bad about our next song that we're playing. Is it called Prison Sex? It might be called Rape Me. <laughs> That's not legally, though. That's in the fun way. Uh, sodomy Me doesn't. That's too, it's too many. Uh, that's one syllable too many there. Well, okay. Hey, Tim, what headlines are you following for the good people of Portland? A child sent, uh, uh, rather, a school sent a child home with a stranger, and the mother is upset. The state's unemployment telephone system crashes. That after their computer system crashes, people are going to be getting their checks late. And it's very exciting. The first doses of H1N1 vaccine have arrived, but you can't have one. Why, that is exciting. Are we still playing Rape Me Next? Sure are. Okay. Well, everybody's just going to have to sort out that confusion and awkwardness on, on, on your own time. It's 503-228-4101. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101. KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. In mere moments, we will uh, have an encore of our interview with filmmaker Michael Moore. That's coming up here in just a moment. So, tomorrow we're talking to the people who publish uh, Look Who's Been Busted, one of our finest newspapers. Are they coming into the studio? Uh, no, it's uh, via the telephone tomorrow. Okay. But, uh, so they, I was going to uh, have them sign my copy. Oh, we're gonna, they're going to be back many times. They're, uh, they like us and we love them. I have to note here that in the new issue of Look Who's Been Busted, page 18, first of all, there's a guy who looks like the old dude from Poltergeist 2. Did I show you what, um, what Brian's friend's boss looks like? Uh, yes, you did. Yeah, he's unnerving. But the best part about this is is that, A, there's the old guy from Poltergeist 2, but right next to him, Sarah, there's a woman who's been arrested 17? for... Uh, there's a woman who's been... Don't go looking at it. Don't go looking ahead. I want to surprise you with this. There's a woman... I've been waiting all through the break to reveal this. There's a woman on page 18 who was busted for robbery... And her name is, well, her last name is Polk, but her first name is Metallica. 
M-A-T-A-L-L-I-C-A, Metallica. So the thing about that is if you were a guy named Matt Alica or something, like you could almost, that's like that woman I met named Alice in Chains, mm-hmm. who was at the Surviving and Driving thing. But a girl named Matt Alica, that's just an idiot dirtbag parent who cannot spell. Yes. I mean, that's that's clearly what that is. That's someone who just doesn't know how vowels work and how the letters all form words. Um, and finally, we have a, uh, a text message here. You were asking about sodomy. Someone has spelled sodomy with the less conventional spelling of A-S-S-O-D-O-M-E. That is asodome. <laughs> asodome is anything other than missionary style, they say, when having sex or a... I can only assume this is meant to be pedophile. It is spelled P-E-T-I-F-Y-L-E. So... A pedophile. There you go. So, uh, so anyway. that must be a... Uh... A reliable source. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed, Tim. <laughs> and so forth. Tim Riley is tracking the following headlines on your Tuesday morning. A boy flies to Chicago without his family knowing. He's only 14. He stole mom's credit cards. Hello, home alone. Well, people might as well give up trying to get rid of Sam Adams. It didn't work. Go on to other things. Uh, a Vancouver printing company has settled after dumping chemicals into the sewage system. And the system for the unemployed to get their checks crashes yesterday, so everyone's going to get their check at least a day late. You all know my next guest. He is the award-winning maker of such films as Bowling for Columbine, Roger and Me, and Sicko. His new release, Capitalism, a love story, is playing in Portland, Oregon. Right now, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, the one and only Mr. Michael Moore. Good morning, sir. How are you on this fine Tuesday? How are you? I am an 8.3 on the 1 to 10 scale. How are you, sir? Damn, that's pretty good. Well, I, you know, I like to face the day with a, a burnished optimism whenever possible. You, and I weighed whether or not to actually use this phrase, but you're sort of, in the best way possible, this kind of documentarian Bruno, where it gets harder and harder to catch people unawares. Uh, you know, just as Sasha Baron Cohen can't really surprise people anymore, it's probably harder for you. Has, it, has your notoriety made it easier or harder to get these films done the way you want to? It's actually uh, made it easier because I know what you're saying. It's, it's harder because people recognize me, so I, I can't get into the corporate executive office as easy. Um, but what is easier is that because people do uh, know me, I get so many tips from the public, so many whistleblowers, so many people sending me documents from the office uh, because they believe that, that, well, there's one guy who you know, might stand up for us here. And so that's been, that's made it actually easy in a way to do what I do. When the economic implosion and the meltdown and the bailout all happened, I know that you were, uh, at that point, I think you're beginning pre-production on your next film, on which we what became Capitalism, A Love Story, and you actually had sort of an open letter you put out to people who worked on Wall Street or in the financial community saying, look, if you know what happened, if you have the inside story, you got to let me know so I can get the truth out there. When you make specific calls like that, uh, you know, to the public, do you hear back from a lot of people who who work in an industry or are in a part of life where they feel the truth needs to to get out as they see it? I received over twenty two thousand emails from people, really, literally around the world. All, most of whom I would say work on some level in a bank somewhere, an insurance company somewhere, a real estate company somewhere. Sometimes it was just from a small town. A number of them, though, were from Wall Street. 
Um, I had a number of VPs or former VPs of places like Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, et cetera, that wrote to me who gave me a lot of good information and background. A couple of them even agreed to go on camera and, and did. Are you ever surprised by the people who either will go on camera or by something that someone says? Do, do you ever catch um, catch yourself being astonished at a moment of unguarded honesty from one of your subjects? Oh, yeah. I really, <clears throat> when that happens, I'm like, geez, uh, that, is, that is really a rare moment here when the truth is coming out. I have uh, I've repeatedly uh, compared you to, to Abby Hoffman over the years. And I remember first uh, when I saw Roger and me for the first time, and I was just sort of gushing to all of my friends about it. And I was like, you got to see this movie. It's called Roger and Me. And they said, what it's about? And I go, oh, it's about Flint, Michigan. And this guy, he's trying to find Roger Smith from General Motors. And, it's, and I just kept going back to the Abby Hoffman thing because he was such a... He was such an entertainer and so hilarious, but at the same time, it was shot through with all of this sort of pathos and what Chuck D would call a a life-loving kind of hate. And it was this sort of righteous indignation mixed together with, um, you know, with a very compelling, uh, entertaining side. But who was it that inspired you to become an entertainer? Was it someone like Abby Hoffman? Was it someone more political, less political? Who who kind of lit this, the fuse for you? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I don't know where, where that moment was. I wish I could put my finger on it. I do know that I've always loved going to the movies. And I, um, when I first thought of making my first movie, I thought, well, I could do this. You know, I don't really know how to do it, but I've watched enough movies to know what I like. And so but that's what I, I set about doing. We're talking with uh, Michael Moore, the new film, Capitalism, A Love Story. is uh, playing in Portland, Oregon right now. You mentioned being a lover of movies. What movie... Um, do you first remember loving? My uh, the very first movie I remember liking was PT one oh nine. PT one oh nine, excellent, good reference, sir. <laughs> Is uh, with uh, Cliff Robertson playing uh, young John F. Kennedy uh, about the uh, when he was in World War Two and the um, uh, Japanese boat. Uh, crashed into his boat and sunk it, and how he saved everybody on the boat. PT-109, when I was growing up, seemed to alternate uh, with the sound of music for being on television. It was just always, every time I walked by the TV, it was either PT-109 or the Von Trapps, sort of (laughs) singing Edelweiss. At this point in your life, what movie would you say that you have seen more than any other, discounting, obviously, your own work? What is the the most frequently seen movie in the the Moore household? I would say uh, this is Spinal Tap. Uh, Life of Brian, Monty Python, um, A Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick. Being such, and all of those films have a very exceptional craft to them, and you yourself are a very um, very skilled crafter of sound and imagery, and and I'm not saying that just to flatter. Your films really do have this astonishing level of technical expertise. Do you regret that that sometimes is overlooked because of your politics? Oh, yeah, and it it really, uh, thank you for pointing that out, because I rarely get to have a discussion with anyone uh, about film or cinema as an art form. It's always about the politics in the film, and and it's, it's kind of an, it's odd to me, because people think of me as a political person, but if, if I were doing this just for the politics or for the message, uh, you know, I'd, I'd run for office or I'd start a political organization or I'd do something else, but I've chosen to be a filmmaker. So first and foremost, I've set out to, to give you two of the best hour 
hours I can give you at the movie theater, I want you to walk out at the end of my movie and say to your date or your spouse, um, or your spouse could be your date, <laughs> say to this individual, wow, that was a great way to spend two hours. That was something. Can you believe what we just saw? I mean, that is what I'm going for. And and I, I think that's why I've been very, very blessed to, to have as many people go to my movies in the past because I, you know, I really am taking a lot of care and concern with giving you the absolute best movie-going experience uh, on, on a Friday or Saturday night. The uh, new movie Capitalism, A Love Story, is playing in Portland, Oregon right now. And uh, from somebody who loves movies to somebody who makes movies, I want to thank you for being out there and, uh, and doing what you do. Best of continued success in life, art, and all things, my friend. And, you know, you guys, you live really in one of the best cities in the country. I don't know if you know that. You said it, brother. Uh, I've, I, uh, traveled, I've traveled this great nation, and you live in a wonderful place. Excellent. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, we would love to have you back at some point. Best of success with the movie and with everything. Thank you for spending some time with us. Take care. Thank you. There you go. Mr. Michael Moore, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, new film Capitalism, a love story, uh, playing in Portland, Oregon, right now. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. More of the Rick Emerson Show in mere moments. Booty, booty, booty. God. Only on Rock 101 KUFO. These peanuts are making me thirsty. I can't quit eating them though. Here's the thing about these planters' smoky bacon peanuts. Is there a lot of times... Non-traditional foods flavored with bacon, like you got your bacon pancake, you got your bacon ice cream, you got your bacon whatever. Sometimes those things are great. Sometimes they're like, I had a bacon chocolate bar that, frankly, isn't all that. Um, these are really legitimately good, though. These are, um, I'm going to have to give these away. The Tim, bacon mints were pretty bad, too. The bacon mints are bad. They're awful. You know what they taste like? They taste like mint and bacon, which I guess I should have seen coming. Tim, do you want these bacon peanuts? Oh, no, thank you. They're all for you. That's a bad idea. Why, Rick, what should you wash those down with? I'm glad you asked, Sarah. I'm going to uh, wash uh, those... Uh, uh, I'm going to wash those remaining shards of thirst right out of my mouth. Well, you're holding crisp- to put nuts in your mouth, right? <coughs> yes. Yes, I am. He's choking on those nuts. Well... I'm an adult, Tim, as opposed to being a child, because on the back, I swear to God, it says, do not give nuts to children. They might choke. My mouth is big enough, though, that it's uh, it's not an issue. Well, it's an adult mouth. Yes. Moving on, uh, let's talk about Viso. You can find out more about this... Non-nut-oriented beverage at uh, drinkviso.com, D-R-I-N-K-V-I-S-O.com. And if you haven't tried a Viso yet, then you have not been converted to the Viso way. It really is quite something. It is exceptional. It's good. It's good for you. It is crisp. It's clear. It's refreshing. And you know what? A lot of beverages say that. A lot of drinks will say that that it quenches your thirst, or it's all natural, or it's good for you. And most of the time, that is what we in the uh, advertising business call puffery. It's just not true. With Viso, it is absolutely true. It is made right here in Portland, Oregon. And you know what? You can turn around. You can look at the side. Vitamin A, 100%. Vitamin D, 100%. E, B1, B2, B3, B6, C, 100% all the way down. It's also got your zinc, your calcium, magnesium, potassium. It's got caffeine. Some of them, some of them don't have caffeine. Some of them are uh, low-cal. Some of them have 
have uh, regular cane sugar in it. It's got an organic sugar that makes it taste fantastic, and it's made right here in Portland, Oregon. Comes in a variety of flavors, now with even more fruit juice in it. If you have not tried Viso, or if you haven't tried a Viso lately, you really owe it to yourself to do so. Proud sponsor of the Rick Emerson Show. Try it and see what everybody is talking about. G-R-I-N-K-V-I-S-O.com is the website. Viso, now with even more of everything good. Broadcasting from the greatest city on earth. Where I come from, it is normal to be gay. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, just a real quick comment. I think you will find, if you look it up, the legal definition of sodomy is anything other than natural sex, which is defined as missionary. So it's basically unnatural sex using that definition. So, uh, so like Bill and Monica Lewinsky engaged in sodomy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what she did. He did. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> Have you had sex, sir? Um, yeah, last night. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Live from the Alpha Broadcasting Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone. It is 849. Expect temperatures today near 70 degrees. Sending the wrong child home with the wrong person. A six-year-old girl who became sick at school was sent home with a stranger. It was an error by the Reedsville Elementary School. Apparently, they called the wrong name and number. So this parent took the wrong kid home, took the kid all the way to their house till they were, before they realized their mistake. How is it that they didn't realize that? That is strange, isn't it? That's I know. What's being looked that sounds into. fishy. Like, babies all look the same, of course, but yes. uh, and old people. But you, there's, a, there's an in-between stage where you can tell them apart. Yes. So apparently that's what happened here, and that's what's being looked into. Yes, I'm... It doesn't make it. It seems like there's more to that story than might meet the eye, perhaps. Did perhaps you guys have so. a secret word um, that your parents gave you, like if somebody else is going to pick you up? Yes, we did. Tim, probably not so much because you're from a, you know, I mean, you're from a, like a good town where things, bad things don't happen. You're from a place where everyone is pure of heart. Not so much, What was Sarah your secret word? Uh, you know, the weird thing is I almost, I almost <laughs> hesitated. I'd be like, I'm not going to kill you, I, I, pedophile. I used to walk home from school. Really? Yeah. Well, so did I, actually, to be fair. And, and um, the only person I was told not to talk to on the way home was a crossing guard because my parents found out that she was divorced. Oh, like in Mad Men. Mm-hmm. She's a trollop. Yes. I walked home from high school. I, I didn't walk home from kindergarten through eighth because it was on the other side of town. Uh, our word was, the non-pedophile word is turtle. It was turtle. <gasps> Mine was? Aardvark. Do you want to guess it? No, I got nothing. Macaroni and cheese. Really? Mm-hmm. So yeah, my I've it, always loved macaroni. Yeah, mine was macaroni and cheese. And I think my sister's was another food. I did you ever like spaghettios? <laughs> did you ever use that? Uh, I only had to use it once. My mom got stuck at work, or her car broke down, or something, and she sent like some guy to pick me up. And he's like, and it was like the creepy thing. I'm like there waiting for the it school. Down the window. Seriously, he like pulls into the. I forget why I wasn't taking the bus home. I guess it's because she, her car was broken down. And she must have been at the shop or something, and so she didn't want me to go home and not be able to get in. I guess. So rather than taking the bus home, I'm literally waiting for the bus in the school parking lot. And a guy comes by, and he's honk honk, and he's all, "Hey, uh, I'm supposed to take you home to meet your mom." And immediately in my head, I'm like, "Oh God!" I just picture myself all manacled up to a wall, um, being branded. He, he kind of look around and then say, "Turtle." I assume no, and then he goes, "Oh, and uh, turtle." And I was like, uh, "All right." 
what? You know, and it still freaked me out a little bit, though, because I was like, what if he just beat that out of my mom? Like, that was my whole thing. It's like, what if he what if he just, like, chopped off her fingers until she gave what up the secret wrong word? With you? You're not supposed to be thinking those thoughts at, like, I, 10. Well, you're not supposed to be thinking that a guy in a Datsun P210 is going to come in the, you know... Say the secret void. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. You're not going to be thinking a guy's going to come make a suit out of your skin, either. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Here's Tim Riley. Guest with Sarah Dillon. Gossip Girls November 9th episode will feature three major characters having sex at the same time <gasps> in the same bed together. OMFG. No. Yes, OMFG. H-W-T-F. H-O-L-L-A. Exclamation point. But they're not telling us which ones they are. Wait a minute. Um, why did you just do this? Why did you just spell all those things out? Is that in the story? Yes. Gossip uh, how sad the that I... the greatest show ever. Uh, I love we... it so much. I wonder who it is. I bet it's going to be... Serena and Dan and Blair. Blair, you think? That's one of the suggestions. Well, I, mm. first of all, how how sad that Sarah immediately has suggestions over who the threesome is going to be, and that I was unknowingly just talking in gossip girl speak when I said the OMFG thing that you followed <gasps> no, up with maybe the other. Chuck account. and Blair and Georgina. That's Chuck what and, I'm going with. Now, is this the season when the, when the gossip girl herself is going to be revealed? I heard that was going to happen this season, that they were going to... Supposedly, re- well, um, this one that they had last night had Tyra Banks on it, and then they just introduced, uh, introduced Hillary Duff as a character, where she plays uh, a famous actress who's going to school at NYU. Now, can she act? Because mm-hmm. I haven't seen her in anything but Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, no, she's good. All right. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it to be good. And yeah. she actually maintained really well. You know, here's the thing about Gossip Girl is I can like I can try to be all cool and pretend. I don't know what that is. But, you know, I do because it's on my, like, Lara Gossip watches Girl's it. amazing. It's the trashiest, most well-produced, best show. It really is like a young Melrose in many People ways. People change clothes like 10 times a day. I'll just sit there. And you know what it is? It, it's, Gossip Girl is like sort of this Gilmore Girls in hell it kind of a thing. It is very much like Gilmore Girls meets Cruel Intentions. I mean, that's kind of the only that's the only way I can mm. put it. Um, oh, it's evil. Yeah, and so Lara it's will sit there and watch and it, and I sit on the couch and I'll like with a with one of my books full full of words, and I will sit there and I'll be reading along and I'll make snarky comments like, "Oh yeah, I'll be over here in the world of literature. Why don't you watch Who's She?" And then then just like half an hour goes by and I'm just sitting on the couch watching it. So I mean, I'm cooler than nobody. Clearly, here's uh, Tim Riley. Terror in the trailer park. Residents of Taggart's Royal Villa trailer park aren't being treated like royalty. Some pyromaniac has set at least 20 fires in their yards, bushes, and trees. So far, no suspects. The Beaverton Dotties has been robbed. A white male in his 20s wearing a black hoodie threatened a clerk with a gun. An airline in Japan is asking customers to fly on an empty tank. All Nippon Airways want all passengers to use the bathroom before they board. They believe that empty bladders will lead to lighter customers that will produce lower fuel use. I've seen most Americans who fly. I don't really believe the, uh, I don't believe bladders are the problem. They're going to make sure that people are asked to use the restroom before boarding. They'll have people there asking that question. Wait a minute. Is this, is this in Japan or is this in America? I guess, I guess any place where this airline flies. What, what is the name of the airline? El Nippon. Now, or All Nippon. Now, is that not... It is the Japanese National Airline. All right. Well, see, they may. Okay. Well, they may have a point there because it seems like um, seems like the fatification is less of an issue, uh, you know, in there. certain parts of the yes. world, mm. um, and uh, so forth. This email says, uh, "Sodomy." I barely knew her, and then he continues to his credit. That doesn't work at all. Uh, but then he then he goes on to define the the legal definition for sodomy, which I will uh, not punish everyone with on the air because it goes just just long, long, explicit detail. But it does say. Or any relations of 
that nature between a human being and an animal, the act of which may be punishable as a criminal offense. And then he notes, so maybe uh, maybe your man's boss was caught with a sheep, Sarah. I mean, just he theoretically. He does work in like a warehouse. Can I just tell you this? My final thing, we're going to talk to the guys tomorrow who do Busted, uh, the newspaper. So that guy you pointed out, I want to use his name, but that guy that you pointed out, uh, that you, your boyfriend was like, oh my God, it's my boss. No, yeah, it's, no, it's, uh, it's my boyfriend's. Friend. Oh, I'm sorry. His yeah. his roommate's boss. He's an oh, you know, look, oh, look. Is that guy? No, he's in. My busted. boyfriend owns his own business, and if his boss was arrested for sodomy, I'd be him. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little unnerved. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so what was my point? Oh, just that Laura and I were looking through that, and when we read Busted Magazine, this is the last observation I'll make about this today. So we should save all these things for tomorrow, really. But we do two games. One of which is, uh, what celebrity does this guy resemble? Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided he was like. He's like a dime bag Daryl sort of impersonator, like he's a Pantera guy. And the other is we go to the just the sex offender page and we uh, play who's got the rapiest eyes. The rapiest eyes. You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't know what I mean. Oh, that Ryan, could be a special edition. Ryan, I played the game where you, yeah, you recover up um, what they did, and you have to figure out if they're like meth or rape or um, yeah, DUI. And the meth people. It's funny how you. Do, it is like a faces of meth thing when you look at all the many uh, the many incarnations, especially people who've been busted more than once. And there's people that you recognize week after week. The one-eyed hooker was in there two weeks in a row. <sighs> it's just sad. All right, it's 503-228-4101. Don't forget, this Friday at 9 a.m., the KUFO half-off sale updates uh, with items including a $100 gift certificate to the Multnomah Grill, fresh, local, organic, and seasonal working with local farms and growers, whether you're having lunch for two or a banquet dinner for 800 The Multnomah Grill of the Doubletree Hotel is the place to get a taste of the Northwest. And uh, these are available for purchase starting this Friday at 9 a.m., a $100 certificate to the Multnomah Grill, or if you are caller 10 right now at 503 503- Two two eight four one zero one. You're going to get one of those before you can buy it. It's a one hundred dollar gift certificate to the Multnomah Grill, part of KUFO's half off sale, which updates at KUFO.com this Friday at nine a.m. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guests will include the editors of Busted Magazine, also uh, Charles R. Cross with the new book Shadows Taller Than Our Souls, and Ryan White uh, from the Oregonian, as well as uh, Rick Springfield, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for Rock 101 KUFO in the newsroom. Tim Riley on the phones. Greg Nibbler and our good friend Brent Brizendine filling in for the latter half of today's show. Um, the front desk, the gatekeeper, is Dave Zinn. The webmistress, Bridget from upstairs. Alpha Broadcasting marketing guru, Susan Don't F With Me Reynolds. Executive producer, Christopher J. Paddock. Buzz coming up next with Smells Like the 90s. And uh, Court and Fatboy 3-7. We want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Amanda Moyer, as well as guests Don Taylor, Max Brooks, and Michael Moore. You can find all that at uh, KUFO.com. It is Tuesday, October 6th, 2009, and that is The Frequency, Kenneth. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow now. Bye. We're going to interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area, your daily show prep is now concluded. Thank you for listening.